It's phone booth fighting. I'm Richard. He's Frank. We are uh, holed up at Stately Mirror Manor once again, our familiar twice weekly routine now. You can get the podcast in iTunes. You can get it on Stitcher Radio, and you can also get it at phoneboothfighting.com. We've got a lot to talk about this week. We've got fights to talk about. We've got politics to talk about. But I do want to let you know first, before we get into anything else, that the t-shirts, the phone booth fighting t-shirts, Frank, are now officially available online. First time ever. Just launched earlier today. Phoneboothfightingshop.com. Phoneboothfightingshop.com. That is where you get your phone booth fighting t-shirts. Everybody uh, has been seeing them worn around by both uh, myself and, and you, Frank, and then some of the people who came out to our L.A. Comedy Club show who got them uh, in person there. They've been posting pictures on Instagram. People want to know where to get them, the gray, the blue, with uh, the Phone Booth Fighting logo, and they are now available, first time ever, right now as we speak, at phoneboothfightingshop.com. So head on over and grab you one. All right, Frank. Um First of all, uh, it's uh, nice to be back at uh, Mirror Manor off the road after our big uh, marathon road trip this weekend. I, uh, I knew I was at your house because I walked in and I saw an unfamiliar kid. <laughs> Did you guys pick up another one? Uh, Anthony's a regular. Oh, okay. I haven't seen him before, no, we, so nice to see him. We, he, uh, him and uh, actually, you know, that's Jillian's brother. So we're constantly treating oh, okay. him out of the family. Yeah, because what happens when you come over here? You see all the mere kids, and then there's usually at least one extra. There's usually a yeah. well, like an know, honorary one. Mixed we're not in. real big about the kids spending the night at other places. Yeah. Um, you know, just scary. You know, to get mm-hmm. to know somebody that level and stuff. Especially Bella. I'm uh, definitely uh, not of equal mindset. You know, the boys spending the night places doesn't make me as leery as uh, yeah. my daughter. Right. Um, not that something bad can happen to them, but, you know, just that's my girl. Uh-huh. And so uh, we've always kind of had an open door policy where since we're not, it takes a while. My kids yeah. have spent the night at people's houses, but after we know the family for yeah, a while. Yeah, right, right. Uh, it, you know, there's that, you know, learning period, which, you know, nothing's 100%, but, you know, you try to do the best you can. But being that we're kind of sticks in the mud when it comes to other parents as far as the freedoms we allow our kids. Uh, you know, anybody can come over at any time, you know, as long as it's not, obviously not a school night, but yeah. we're pretty open about having, I mean, there's been times I've had, you know, I think the one time on Bella's party, we had like 15, you know, of her, uh, her teammates on her team and yeah. friends. So it gets crazy. Have you ever had a situation where because of that liberal open door policy, there's been a kid in here and then after a period of time, you realize that no one in the family, including any of the kids, knows them. <laughs> no, that one hasn't happened yet. That'd be kind of funny, though. It could happen. I'd be impressed. I'd actually want to sit and talk to the kid and be like, wow, yeah. so at your age, you're already crashing parties and walking in? <laughs> yeah. Like, man, you got big things ahead of you, buddy. You should enter into government. <laughs> All right, well, we'll be talking some, uh, some government here in just a little bit because it's been GOP convention week. I have watched every second of this. I have been riveted. Uh, all week long to this, and uh, lots of thoughts, and it concluded tonight with the big Donald Trump speech. We'll be talking about that. But first, Frank, let's talk some mixed martial arts. Um, we got a big fight card on Saturday, UFC on Fox 20. 
live from Chicago. This is one of the big Fox cards, so you get it free on network television, uh, 5 p.m. Pacific for the main card, 3 p.m. for the prelims. And uh, in the main event, Holly Holm, uh, the not-so-long-ago dethroned uh, UFC women's bantamweight champion, is going to be taken on Valentina Shevchenko, who is one of the UFC women's division's most decorated Muay Thai fighters. So stylistically, this is a very interesting matchup. And Valentina also is uh, coming off a, uh, a loss uh, to the new UFC bantamweight champion Amanda Nunez, but a loss in in which she was doing pretty well in the third round. That was one of these fights. You know, it's interesting since the the deposing of of Ronda Rousey that we've talked before about how the whole uh, UFC women's bantamweight division had just been blown wide open, and it's been this musical chairs of you know the titles changed tw- uh, hands twice now since just since Ronda's been out. And, uh, you know, you you have names not only like Amanda Nunez, who claimed the title from Misha at UFC 200, but names like Shevchenko, who, uh, despite the fact that they haven't been in a, a title-challenging situation yet, are, are right at the top of the women's division. So in Ronda's absence, it seems like it really has, you know, broken the field wide open to, to really legitimately cement some new stars so that when and if she ever does return, as I've drawn the old boxing analogy before, there's going to be a foreman. There's going to be a Frazier. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what how Holly Holm rebounds from the first defeat of her entire professional career. I think it's an absolutely phenomenal thing. I think I've said earlier on, uh, you know, before on earlier podcasts that we've had that I think this is just a testament to the women's divisions being uh, of substance now. It's not just a one-woman show, which historically, you know, I've said has always kind of been uh, the girls' side of the fighting. You know, if yeah. you had that girl that carried it, you know, first it really, you know, hit landmark with Gina Carano, and then after that it was Ronda Rousey uh, really took the torch and, 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 and ran off with it. But if I was a young lady training martial arts right now, I wouldn't be. I couldn't be happier with the state of it is now. Because two years ago, if we were talking about you know what happens if Ronda Rousey gets hurt or decides to go off into movies, what would have happened to the female division? I think that would have been a great concern. And now Ronda hasn't been anywhere at all on the map, and the division has been exciting. Uh, that last fight with Misha Tate and Amanda Nunez was. You know, an incredible fight on UFC 200 might have been one of the most devastating, exciting fights the whole night. I also think it's really it's interesting to have spirited debates over who is going to win uh, women's bantamweight title fights, or even who's going to win uh, contender eliminator fights in the women's bantamweight division. Because we didn't get to have a lot of that with Ronda Rousey. You know, usually it was, is this person going to be able to last? out of a round with Ronda Rousey, right? You think she won't be armbarred, you know? Yeah, and so now we're not only only able to do that, but I also like the fact that the women have proven in her absence, and it starts with with Holly Holm and, and Misha Tate. Now they welcome Amanda Nunez to that title picture. Well, I know that, that a lot of that they, they have been able to sustain the division in her absence because as big of a star as Ronda was, how often did we talk about the fact that, yeah, this is all awesome. It's a Ronda Rousey show, but what if she wasn't here? And now Absolutely. we're finding out it's, it's, it's okay. 
Well, I think the Australia card was the card we were talking about back in uh, the November before last. That, uh, yeah. Of Ronda and Holly Holm, you know, mainlining a, a female fight, title fight, you know, headlining a major pay-per-view card. And now if you think about it, I know there was a lot of <laughs> uh, shuffling and controversy leading up to UFC 200. But wow, UFC 200 was headlined by the bantamweight yep. girls title. That's impressive. I mean, it's Tate Nunes. Like, I don't care, you know, a hundred shows from now, you know, 10 years from now, we're still going to look back at UFC 200 was headlined by the girls. And if that isn't a, a really just a, a sentiment or just a testament to the evolution of the female side of the sport, I don't know what is. Yeah, and it was also one of only two finishes on the main card that night. It was one of the best fights. It really was because it was one-sided, but it was still in terms of, of exciting and spectacular. It was one of the best fights and, and uh, certainly one of the best performances from Amanda Nunez. And, you know, it was talked about going into that when it was announced late in the week that the women would, in fact, headline that card. Uh-oh. What does this mean? You know, what's it going to be like when half the arena is emptying after uh, uh, Brock and, and Mark Hunt fight? And uh, that's not what happened at all. So it, it, it all did work out uh, very well. And then this, I think, is just an extenuation of it because despite the fact that you've got a great lightweight contenders matchup on this card between uh, Edson Barbosa and the returning Gil Melendez, um, they're, they're, they're in the co-headliner position to, to the ladies again. So with Holm and, and uh, Shevchenko, I think this is an interesting matchup stylistically, and I'll get your thoughts here, Frank. You've got, obviously, in Holly Holm, the best pure boxer in uh, probably all of women's MMA, I think, in the division, obviously. But uh, in Shevchenko, you've got one of the most decorated uh, women's Muay Thai fighters, somebody that came from that world. So when you take a, an accomplished pure you know, Muay Thai fighter and you match him against an accomplished elite boxer what do you get well i think also too it's even more complicated than that because of the boxing style that um holly possesses yeah she's not what you would typically think of as a boxer who sits in there and throws combinations and makes you miss and stays in the pocket or stays within uh range a lot of in and out movement Tons. She's mm-hmm. almost more of a karate style kind of fighting approach mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you see her throw two or three punches, boom, and then she she blitzes out, blitzing in and out. She changes, you know, she goes two or three distances, you know, as far as her stance. If you sit there and go, okay, well, how far away is she going to be? She's well outside kicking range, and then she starts a blitzing attack, hits, lands for scoring purposes, and then fades out before she can get any retaliation back. Uh, so is much more of if you look at more like the Dutch kickboxers and Muay Thai fighters and more of the Eastern European type of stand up, they're very much stand in front of you. Now, not necessarily, I'm not saying it's a brutish rock'em sock'em robots, but they make you miss and they stay within range to make you pay for missing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they get hit more because of that, but their idea is not to not get hit, but it's to not get hit hard. So you'll see them you know, slide past a jab and the glove will hit them on the head, but it doesn't land with anything to throw them off. And now they're throwing back their own power attack. They stay more in there and have more of that kind of battle back and forth. So I think that as far as being inside the octagon, being, you know, 33 feet or 33 and a half, whatever the exact uh, dimensions are, that's a lot of room to run around. And I can see that 
right off the bat when this fight first came up, I'm like, well, you know, Holly can run for five rounds. Um, not in a bad way. She can be on her bicycle because she's still attacking. But I can see this as a fight where that she just comes in, blitz, scores, and blitzes out. She has very much of a Machida type of style of, uh, of fighting that's a pain in the butt. I think as far as the only type of uh, uh, really counter to watching her fight is either A, you know you're going to get hit when she comes in and you can't move too far out of the way because then – you're not going to be able to counter. So uh, her opponent's going to have to sit there and kind of, you know, take one of those shots, but then try to deliver shots back that are even more devastating and painful and catcher. As far as trying to beat her on the in and out, running around, her muscles and her legs, she's been doing this for a long time. Mm. Her ability to dance in and out, her conditioning and her, her economy of motion is at such a high level that trying to beat her at that game, it's never going to happen. So can you adjust your style to try to, to do something about it? And so far, you know, we've seen the uh, power shots work against her. Uh, who's the girl she fought in Brazil? Uh, which one are we talking about? Holly. Oh, when she fought, uh, not Raquel Pennington. Uh, I think it was Raquel. No, that was in L.A. I was at that fight, uh, a Brazilian fight. Hold on, let me pull up a Maybe record. it was the Raquel Pennington fight. That one was in L.A. I, I remember seeing a fight where, I think it was Raquel, mm-hmm. Holly came in, initiated the first one or two shots, you know, as a southpaw stand, she come in, blitz, jab, cross, and then before she could land her third or fourth or retaliate, Raquel was throwing heavy leather afterwards and catching her with shots. Then the third round, I was like, oh, there's a blueprint to do with somebody that's really fast, moves in and out. Mm-hmm. You might have to sit there and take the first shot, but just make sure that the next shot lands as yours and it lands with much more devastating power, maybe two, three, and four shots. Now that you've stunned the person, it's be harder for them to just you know, drift off. Or Misha Tate style, and be able to grab her and try to put her in a grappling match. I mean, she did a great job all the way until the fifth round against Misha, but still, as far as ways to possibly beat her, chasing her down so far seems like the worst idea possible. <laughs> you're either thinking of the Raquel Pennington fight, or you're thinking of her fighting on your undercard with Todd Duffy when she fought Marion Renault. It's one of those two. Maybe it was that one. Maybe it was the Marion Renault fight. Yeah. Ah, I've watched too many fights. I just remember a fight where she was coming in third round and was eating some shots. The other girl was actually throwing harder. In my mind, I was like, ah, the girls figured it out, but too little, too late. She's I like, think you're talking about the Raquel Pennington fight because I was at that fight, and I actually wondered if Raquel hadn't won it. that fight. Yeah, and it was okay. a split decision fight. That's probably the one it was. But, uh, you know, also I think I would be very surprised. Everything that I – have heard about Holly Holm. Of course, we've never seen her have to come back from a defeat before, but she looked so good in the fight with Misha Tate. Not that she didn't look great uh, in that fight. You know, I would be really surprised if she doesn't come back just right back on her horse, you know, just ready to get right back in the mix. I believe so. She's just had too many competitions as far as, you know, boxing, kickboxing, MMA. Um, She probably has more experience in live combat than any of the other girls I can think of right off the top of my head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, now, on a side note, uh, Shevchenko, this is a story right after your own uh, vigil, Annie Hart. Did you, do you remember that story from a couple of months ago where she was with her coach and they were in a restaurant and the restaurant got robbed and the coach got shot? Do you remember that story? It sounds familiar. 
Yeah, I'm going to look that up because it's – I mean, you would talk about a tumultuous training camp. I'm, I'm not sure what uh, – Is the trainer okay? I think he lived. Um, let me uh, just pull up the, the details um, that uh, – but, you know, I, I don't know how that has uh, – I don't know how that has impacted her uh, her training for this camp or uh, any kind of thing like that. Let me uh, – let me see if I can find that story real quick. Also, in the co-main event, while I'm looking this up, Edson Barbosa and Gilbert Melendez uh, squaring off. By the way, I get a text message from you at 6.17 in the morning <laughs> that said, uh, just getting to bed. What is that the the uh, the mother of all uh, Clash of Clans marathons? What, what caused that? Well, just because, you know, this whole last week, after our car trip, my mm-hmm. back's been uh, acting up, so I've been bedridden for the last three or four days. You got out of my car. so Okay, so uh, b- b- we'll get right back to fight talk, but uh, i got to pull the curtain back here. We're Snapchatting, by the way, at Phone Booth Fight, Snapchat username Phone Booth Fight, and if you see us sprawled out on Frank's couches here in his den, uh, this, this is not – uh, just because we want to get comfortable, I don't. Frank's having a hard time sitting upright. So after, so what we did this weekend, we went to uh, Eddie Bravo Invitational EBI Seven. Saturday, we drove from Vegas to LA. We left in the morning. We got there mid afternoon, and we did the event. Event was over at ten or eleven. We took some pictures, stuck around, all that kind of stuff. And I think we eventually got out of there at midnight. We get, I think we pulled up to your place right about 4 a.m. Those who listened to last week's episode uh, or, or the, uh, the episode from a few days ago know exactly what I'm talking about because yeah. we recorded it on the way down. And Next then, time we were staying, I don't care if it's a Motel yeah, 8 or on, it could be this. On the way back, <laughs> you were snoring uh, in the car, and I captured some of that for our listeners. So, um, But you had the idea. You were like, yeah, you know, we'll, just, we'll just drive back, and that was fine. But uh, but it, I you kind of an hour or two. you did fine. But you kind of <laughs> paid the price physically. You you're saying you were a little uh, back was a little tight. Yeah, huh? Falling asleep in the Prius wasn't the best idea. Yes, because uh, uh, I got out pretty stiff, and then uh, oh Sunday morning I go to get up, and I'm like, oh man, my back's out. And uh, this is actually the best I've been. At least I can move around. I'm comfortable. You should have seen me the last couple of days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty bad. But uh, so my sleep schedule has been a little off because when you just sit in bed all day long, you know, pass out, wake up. I've been uh, watching a lot of TV <laughs> playing yeah. on the Internet, uh, you know, just just miserable. And so uh, <laughs> I couldn't fall asleep last night. The wife kept playing movie after movie. And um, eventually, uh, it was about six in the morning. I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna start falling asleep." And I looked outside, and I could see the light coming on. Uh-huh. Oh, damn! What time is it? That's when I looked. It was like, <laughs> "Yeah, I'm probably not gonna be up in the next two hours." All right, so I'm I'm, I'm looking up this Valentina uh, Shevchenko story about her uh, her coach uh, getting shot. Okay, so this was it happened in Lima, Peru. Okay, and this was that just happened in uh, May like toward the end of uh, May, okay? Uh, this is from, uh, I'm going to quote from uh, Mark Ramondi's story here from uh, MMA Fighting. Here's the details. Late last month, uh, Shevchenko and her coach, Pavel Fedor- uh, Fedotov, were eating dinner at a local chicken restaurant in Lima, Peru. Robbers came into the establishment shook down the owner for money, and then went table-to-table assaulting customers until they handed over their valuable belongings. As the robbers drew nearer, Fedotov 
told Shevchenko to hide, so she did. Fedotov pulled out his gun. Oh, man, after your own heart here, Frank. Pulled out his gun, and a shootout with the thieves ensued. It remains unclear who fired the first shot. Reports from Peru have differed. Uh, Shevchenko believed the robber shot first, and Fedotov was protecting her and their friend. Either way, Fedotov ended up being shot by one of the robbers. Shevchenko immediately rushed to his side. When the gunfight was over, she helped him up. They went outside and got into a cab and went to uh, the hospital. That sounds like something out of a movie. I know. And who cares who fired first? I hope he shot first. Yeah. If you're going from table to table with guns. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean they've I'm already, not going to wait for you to point. No, at there's me. there's not a lot of confusion as to no, what their uh, your intentions are. What their intentions lethal are. Lethal threat. Yeah. You have a yeah. weapon. If you don't comply, they're they're insinuating that they'll kill you. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody's sitting there going, "Give me your stuff, or I'm going to give you flesh wound." You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a bullet, man. So he, I guess she took this fight while he was still in the hospital. That's kind of what I'm seeing in subsequent reports. So I'm not sure how much of a part of the uh, the camp he was able to uh, to be, but nonetheless, I mean that's what are, what are uh, Peru's gun laws like. That I don't was, know. He was able to have a gun with him. I don't know. We'll have to. No, uh, I'm kind of interested in that now. We'll have to investigate. Don't go moving to Peru on well, me just, just so my you can experience of South carry America. your gun more places. It's going to be very tough to do the podcast. From and I there. can't really carry weapons. They freak yeah. out. I mean, when I travel down south, that's one thing that makes me paranoid. Is uh, I carry a pen <laughs> to poke somebody. <laughs> yeah, no. Edson Barbosa and Gilbert Melendez. All right, so uh, Gilbert Melendez has been out for a year, uh, popped for a banned substance, really before USADA uh, full force kicked in. Wasn't they down the Mexico card? Yeah, Gilbert Melendez got, uh, so he basically just got the year suspension. And then uh, Edson Barbosa is coming off of uh, uh, defeat, being uh, Anthony Pettis. So Barbosa really looking uh, at the top of his game. I like this one because, first of all, uh, Barbosa's uh, kicking game is one of the, one of the best uh, in the UFC, certainly in the UFC's lightweight division. Gilbert Melendez, I think, uh, as evidenced by fights uh, like the one he had with uh, Diego Sanchez, is is uh, not afraid to get into a you know a gritty, grimy. Uh, ugly fight and, uh, and and make it interesting to watch. So I think that clash of styles is is going to be interesting. I think Pettis, uh, I think uh, Barbosa's uh, kicks could uh, could be some trouble for Gil Melendez, but at the same time, his uh, his tenacity I think could be uh, a, an interesting element of the equation for this fight. Well, we- both are guys a style or anecdotes for each other's style. Yeah. Um, if you sit there and go, hey, you know, how, how do you beat a guy who's a really fluid, uh, efficient kicker? You're like, well, pressure him, jam him up, don't let him have space to to kick you, you know, uh, and then vice versa. You're like, oh, I have a guy I'm fighting is good boxer, a grinder. He's going to come in, wrestling, take me down, and just a lot of pressure. You're like, oh, well, keep the distance. Kick the hell out of him, you know. Catch him with shots, stay off the cage, you know, and use your uh, footwork to try to stay away. So really, each guy, if he implements his plan, has the perfect plan for the other guy. Um, Talk about a stylistic matchup. It really comes down to who's ever able to pull their game off uh, more proficiently. I can very well see, you know, if you sit there and go, Edson won. Like, yeah, you know, he came in, he pushed, but, you know, uh, he caught Gilbert with a, you know, a kick to the back of the head, you know, or to the side of the head as he was coming through, very much like, a, you know, a, 
Wonder Boy style, you know, uh, beat him up with kicks, and then vice versa. If you're like, well, how did uh, you know did Gilbert win? I'm like, oh, you know, he, you know, he avoided the first couple kicks. He jammed in, kept uh, distance close, used his boxing to really, you know, to 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 mix up shots, so that way, um, you know. Uh, Edson didn't know when the shot was coming, you know, backed him up against the cage, changed levels, grabbed him, took him down, just really beat him up and fatigued him out and was able to finish him in the second round. I mean, they're not far-fetched concepts that either guy can pull off. Yeah. It really just comes down to who has the better night, in my opinion, because both guys have the key ingredients of what it takes to beat the other guy's style. Uh, it isn't like, you know, there are some matchups where you look at it and go, man, how is this guy going to win? Mm-hmm. And it makes it for a heroic victory when he figures something out. We see a new aspect to their game. But really, we don't need to see anything new from either one of these fighters. We just need to see who's going to implement their game plan the best. Barboza is now uh, officially training full-time with Mark Henry, um, uh, Frankie Edgar, uh, uh, Eddie Alvarez has been part of that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because both these guys uh, and, and Gil Melendez with the, with the Scrap Pack right. have camps that are, are, are or have very recently been training for big, high-profile fights. Nate's obviously getting ready for Connor. And uh, I know a lot of times uh, that elevates anticipation for a fight. If anything, that actually uh, had that situation not been uh, brought to my attention, I would have said that training wise, Edson probably has a better look. There's guys at the camp there uh, for Edson Barbosa that can emulate the look of a boxer, wrestler, grinder type of pressure that Gilbert Melendez presents. Finding guys that are really good at the kicks and movement, um, they're far and few between. Uh, there's not as many of those guys in camps. And, and to come to think of it, the, the scrap pack, I don't think of anybody that fights like that. Mm-hmm. But obviously they've had to have brought in people that fight like Connor, who has same kind of, you know, same kicking style of, even though he might not rely as heavily on the kicks as Barbosa does, but somebody that can bounce in and out, who wants to avoid being grinded on, who wants to catch you with kicks from the outside, hurt you, the spin kicks, the Barbosa is very good at landing, uh, you know, also Connor is very good at landing. So you think that whoever they brought in to help out Nate, give him that look, Gilbert's had to have jumped in there and get rounds also. So I think that's one thing to really make this even again as far as mm. me looking at who has the advantage. I'm like, man, I really don't know. Yeah. If it wasn't for that element, I'm assuming that, like I said, I don't know who it is, but they had to have brought in somebody that has that look of a kicker that to throw, you know, kicks to the head, to the yeah. body, spin, move out, you know, maybe, you know, jab and step off the cage and then throw the kicks again. Um, then, then that puts it right back into, well, Hopefully, uh, I, I think guys, I really think guys are making that, uh, hopefully not as much now, but I, I think that people are looking at the Conor McGregor kicking style. They look at uh, Stephen uh, Thompson's kicking style, and I don't know if they're really getting partners in their camps to emulate it because I've seen some guys look really confused, and I wonder, I'm like, did you did you not take it seriously? Or did you not see his yeah. last two opponents get knocked out? Hopefully people now are taking those styles more seriously, even if on a statistical you know, uh, evaluation it's not as efficient as some of the other styles. It's still there are guys with the athletic ability and the prowess to pull it off. You have to respect it. Do you remember the uh, going back a couple of years, the, the wheel kick that Edson Barbosa uh, hit Terry Edom with? 
and knocked him out cold, and he froze. Do you remember like how he landed and Terry Adams' arm was just yeah. extended like this in midair? That was the craziest. Like he really did look. It was like instant rigor mortis or yeah. something. It was really bizarre. It reminds me of back in the day. We're going back. I think UFC. The first couple were not. Tank Abbott hit the one guy. It was a Hawaiian guy, I believe. Mm. He hit him. Uh, what was the guy's name? I'll have to go through and look at it. Yeah. Same thing though. You see Tank Abbott land a big shot. The guy goes on the ground. His arms go stiff in the air, which if you're a fan of the person who's doing that, I remember when I watched uh, uh, Glenn Johnson do that to um, Roy Jones, Roy Jones yep. Jr., who I'm a huge fan of Roy Jones. You know, I, I've always been you know, just uh, mesmerized by his boxing prowess and then even his mindset, listening to the guy talk sometimes outside the, uh, the fighting world, you know, talking about fighting and just the mental prowess that he has. Uh, when I saw him get hit and drop down, same way when they do that clinch and they yep. you know hit the ground and their body goes stiff, that's a scary sight to see. Yeah, nice Glenn Johnson reference there, yeah, Frank. Like that, that's huh? impressive. That's going deep in boxing. You know, that's a that's a journeyman fighter. Glenn Johnson always had one of my favorite quotes, uh, boxing related. He always said, "I'm not the best. I'm just willing to fight the best." I always like that. That is a cool one. You know, I asked the question that I've been meaning to ask, and uh, I think I'm eventually going to get around to asking all members of the Scrap Pack this question. But, you know, I posed the question to Gil Melendez. If Gilbert, Jake Shields, and Nate and Nick Diaz are in a car and the car gets pulled over, who talks to the cops? (laughs) Now, Gilbert was noncommittal there, you know, but – I think you can – I'm just going to immediately eliminate 50% of the equation. <laughs> I think the only real debate is, is it Gilbert or is it Jake? Yeah. What do you think? I think I'd slide with Jake. I think I would too. Yeah. He's got – Jake is a guy who's just – he's one of those guys that's just kind of genetically clean-cut looking. Yes. You know what I mean? And it's interesting too because his uh, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's one of my fellow vegans – and uh, as are the Diaz brothers, but uh, but Jake, his dad was like because I remember his, uh, his his dad before he passed away was a big influence in Jake's life, and you know they'd show him on the countdown shows and stuff like that. And his dad was kind of hippieish looking, like he had long hair and stuff like that. You know, he just had that kind of Northern California hippie look to him. But Jake's kind of a clean cut looking no, guy, super clean cut. Yeah. that's why I would have to probably. You're right. I think that Gilbert and Jake probably speak. You know, yeah, both speak very well, uh, but. Out of the two, just as far as appearances go, I'm thinking, yeah. well, especially if you pull over by a white police officer, have Jake talk. Yeah, the, but I think the, the the thing we definitely know is you're Not looking the in the brothers. back seat and telling Nate and Nick just to let us handle this one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Try not to say nothing bad. That's right. <laughs> telling Nate and Nick... Go ahead and let the cops see both your hands, but do not be extending the middle finger on those hands when your hands are uh, are are visible. All right, so that's uh, that's the main and the co-main for UFC on Fox 20 this Saturday. And by the way, for those of you who have been asking for phone booth fighting to do a proper fight companion episode, you are in luck because that's what we're going to do this Saturday for these fights. We're going to uh, get together over here at uh, Mirror Manor. We're going to invite uh, Frank Striking Coach Angelo Reyes over, 
and a world champion women's boxer on a Hulaton. She's going to be here, and uh, and we're going to do a little fight campaign. We're going to watch the main card, talk about it, tape it as we uh, watch it, and then we'll upload that for everybody. So uh, you can watch along with us with uh, alternate commentary uh, this weekend on uh, UFC on Fox 20. That'll be our phone booth fighting episode for uh, the first part of this week. Normally Are we, we upload. Are you trying to fight anybody else? I mean, well, sure. Yeah. I was see if we can fill a call. Phil Baroni, the New York badass. Always a welcome addition. Uh, Always a welcome addition to uh, to any. And I also like it when I do not have to. Uh, I, I don't have to monitor his audio for terrestrial broadcast because you you, and people who listen to the podcast may not know, but we air on uh, terrestrial radio affiliates in Reno and Vegas. We do a one-hour weekly version of the show that obviously has to be clean and within FCC guidelines. And the tough thing about Phil, just like being the elusive fighter that he was, he's an elusive cursor. And what he does is he'll he'll drop f bombs on you. But he does it in such a scatter shooting fashion with his thick New York accent that they're hard to detect sometimes. They're kind of kind of be under his breath, kind of fucking under his breath, you know. And it'll just I'll be listening, and I'll be, I remember one time I I he was out with us at uh, uh, no, no regrets. regrets bar, and of course it's loud. We got uh, ambient noise going on, and everything. I uploaded that episode to the radio station, and about 30 minutes before it was set to air, and this is over terrestrial radio airwaves, so we're talking Federal Communications Commission fines you're subject to and all that kind of stuff. I just happened to be listening to it on my iPod. I'm just you know reviewing the episode as I do, and I heard one. I heard one that slipped past my guard, and I call the radio station. I'm like, abort, abort. Do not play the tape. Do not play the tape. <laughs> and uh, they had to pull it at the last minute. And to their credit, they actually got an engineer on it last minute. We identif- we isolated the target, F-bomb, and sliced it right out of the broadcast. So nice. it was still able to so air. saved it, huh? Yes, but uh, you know, you, you don't want to go through that kind of panic uh, every week. So uh, anyway. But, I yeah, told you when I cussed one time. Right? When you did? Uh, well, what's What'd you the do? statute of limitations on cussing on air? Uh, you talking about on our show? No. Oh, somebody else's show. Yeah, well, I don't care about that. When did? Well, I care if I so oh. fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, they they would actually have to have the audio of it. I mean, they'd kind of have to be able to. Some first of all, number one, somebody would have to complain, and number two, they would. Most radio stations are not going to have audio past two weeks, probably. It was one of the times Archive. I was commentating. Really? Yeah. WEC. Yeah. Okay, but WEC aired on cable television, right? So they're able to curse. The only, the only, I was told not to cuss. Well, but that, that may be an elective decision they're making. The, the FCC doesn't regulate cable television. No, because they were worried afterwards. Hmm. What Did were we it, on? You were on Versus, right? Versus Network? Yeah, Versus, that? can you cuss? Yeah. See, the way the way the FCC works, huh. you cannot... Now, Why were they tripping out on me, man? Well, I'm like a little upset because they had me really like... They were staring at me. Yeah. Uh, it was bad. Okay, well, well, well fuck it. I'll explain the yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot what fight it was, and if someone can ever go back and figure out what yeah. it was, I'm sitting there, and the fight's not very exciting. Mm-hmm. Both guys just really don't want to engage with each other. Whatever. You know, hey... <laughs> it happens, I guess. But I'm like slouched down in my chair. I'm like half asleep, 
trying to like you know stay there so i'm like oh okay change i think the guy went to throw a punch and change levels i'm like all right there comes a combination he's fucking changing levels and i said it just like that he's fucking changing levels all of a sudden like i sit up in my chair real fast because they kept telling me constantly because they know how i am in my personal life yeah do not cuss do not cuss do not cuss i want to say i think we're being aired somewhere where well, this was prior to the Fox deal, so it couldn't have been yeah, Network Fox that. Television. Now, that is a place you'd have to watch out. Basically, Why would they tell me not to cuss? Well, because they may have made... Like, they don't want you cussing on Fox Sports 1, but you're not going to get fined if you do. Yeah. It's kind of a decision that the network makes. So here's the way that the, the law actually Well, works. let me just finish. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. sorry. Yeah, I no, so, so I cuss, I sit up, I turn red. Yeah. My co-host, you know, uh, Todd... Is staring at me. It looks over at me. It's like, oh shit, you know, mm-hmm. like you know. And then as I said it, I realized what I said. So instead of being silent, I did what most people want to do that are being deceitful. You hide in plain sight. Mm. And so I just kept on talking. And he fucking shot a double, and now it looks like oh no, he missed the shot. He's switching off. The other guy's countering, and I just kept rambling on uh-huh. so that there was no change. I didn't raise my voice. I kept it going, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, and then. The, the truck, you know, the guys outside, you know, they, they, hey, Frank, man, you got to watch that. So I hit the button that I can talk about. I'm sorry, man. Man, sorry. And so I sit down and I look. And then I look over and uh, the vice president or the president, I forget what his title officially was, yeah. uh, Peter Dropik, uh, became the vice president when he moved over to UFC. But I think he was the president of the WEC at the time. And he's still staring at me. It's like I look over at him. I'm like, and I just kind of lift up my hands like going, you know, like, come on, dude. I know I fucked up. You staring at me now while I'm still on air is not making the situation better. Yeah. Like, you don't think I know that I just screwed up? I mean, you've seen my mannerism. I jumped up in my chair. <laughs> like, you know, I changed three or four shades of red. You know, like, uh-huh. it's quite obvious that I'm aware of my yeah. my uh, shortcomings at the moment. And I'm doing everything I can to try to uh, to fix it. You know, like, okay, well, shit, I fucked up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, very aware of it. And so after a while, I'm like sitting there going, man, you know, like, you know, he's like, hey, you, know, you can't be sounds like, I know, but do me a favor. When I fuck up, don't stare at me for the next five minutes while I'm trying to act normal. <laughs> yeah. So here's the way the legalities of it work. It basically, think of it this way. If you can get the television network for free, okay, so that means CBS NBC, ABC, Fox, without cable. You don't have cable. You don't have satellite. What can you get on your television for free? You cannot legally, it is illegal to cuss on that, right? That's number one. So the idea being, same thing with radio. So it's why you can cuss on satellite radio, but not on the radio that you just tune in on your car without paying for it. So the theory is that if you're paying for something vis-a-vis cable or satellite radio, that you may be, because you're paying for it, you're having to seek it out. So if there's cursing on it, you must be okay with that because you're paying for it. But if it's CBS network, which comes in free on your television, you might just turn on your TV and have that enter your home without you going out and seeking it. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's the, the the concept of the government protecting you from that, that foul language. That's really where the litmus test is. Now, what will happen is... Some cable networks will decide on their own, we don't want cursing. And the reason we don't want cursing is that uh, there might be kids watching. Like, for example, Disney Channel. 
you could actually curse on Disney Channel and not be fined by the FCC. Right, right. Disney doesn't want you doing that because yeah. the kids are watching. So it's kind of a sliding scale. That's how they figure it out. Same thing like with Comedy Central. They will air movies with curse words, but usually only late at night. Right. So, so that's, that's kind of how that, that whole thing right. works. You know, I, I want to text Todd and be like, how was I so confused about this? Yeah, text him and be like, turns out was not as big of a deal. As everybody uh, made it out to be. Yeah, I even had, uh, I think Reed came up to me like the next day was like, oh, you know, I think everything's fine. We didn't hear nothing. Yeah. Maybe that's just my own assuming that that means the FCC, but they must have been talking about the versus company Right. Now, where FCC would be involved is like this Saturday night. You know, if Gilbert Melendez were to curse in the post-fight interview, that cannot air. So that would be they would be fined if it aired, right. and that's why everything's on a delay. Right, that's they why have like a five or six out. second delay, don't they? Yeah, and that's why there was the infamous. If you remember when Nate Diaz fought on Fox before he got yes. the Connor fight, he cursed so much that they that ran fight. out of delay. Oh, you were that was in Florida, wasn't it? No, no, was it no? What was the one where he was fighting uh, Benson? That was up in Seattle. Uh, okay, yeah. And he like flipped him off. Yeah. And yeah. like everybody, like the way they angled the camera, like yeah. I was there, so I knew what would happen. Yeah. But afterwards, we're like, oh man, the camera wasn't there. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. He, he was in a foot lock, but he was, you know, yeah. flipping him off. Yeah. But I guess people at home didn't get to see that. If it's, if it's network television, free network television, that's when you got a problem. So, uh, but uh, I, don't, I don't think uh, uh, they'll have anything to worry about with uh, Holly Holm this weekend. She doesn't really seem like the cursing no. type. Um, but she does uh, support Donald Trump. So we're going to talk about that here in a minute because as uh, fighting gives way to politics, this was the big GOP convention week. We've got some things to talk about that uh, with that momentarily. But before we, and, and that actually crossed over into the world of MMA because Dana White was speaking at the Republican convention. So we get, did you know about that? No, did I you didn't. know he did? Yeah, he actually uh, spoke. So we'll get into that here in just a little bit. Uh, but first, we do have uh, some more uh, uh, USADA-related fight issues to talk about. Man, it was a, it was a big I'm not sure who it was a bigger week for, the GOP or USADA. So here we go, Frank. Uh, first of all, Brock Lesnar failed his second uh, test, and this one was the fight night test. So he failed... The USADA fight night test. We're not um, talking about B-sample. We're talking another separate test. Totally separate test. And uh, this is for estrogen blockers, uh, which, by the way, more on that in a second as it relates to John Jones. But the well, theory to keep from getting, like, gyno. Yeah, the theory behind the estrogen blockers is if you are uh, taking – from what you know, stop me if I'm wrong, but basically the, the concept is this. If you are taking steroids – you are increasing testosterone. If you increase testosterone, you're also going to increase estrogen production. Basically, the steroids are making everything go up, right? You want more testosterone if that's your goal, but the estrogen you don't want, and that's going to give you, like, man boobs and stuff like that, right? And so the concept yeah. would be you would take the estrogen blocker to mitigate the side effects of and the And that just opens up a whole other... Uh can of worms in my opinion because it's like well if you're being randomly tested and you're taking this estrogen blocker to block the negative effects of testosterone or steroid abuse how do we not catch the steroids like what steroids are you taking that we can't find them well okay so in brock's case i mean let's say that was the case in brock's case because he was uh excused from the four-month testing period that would so, be how he'd get around so he right? was taking stuff all the way up until 
they announced that he was going to be back in the UFC. I mean, possibly. Yeah. I guess if we're just sort of hypothesizing that it could have worked that way. And then basically just said, fuck it. I mean, well, and that's the, see, the, the thing with Brock, and we brought this up on last week's show. Brock has, he's got a real unique situation here because any other fighter would probably be uh, discouraged from doing that type of thing, deterred, but by the fact that, hey, I've got an existing UFC con- – I've got four fights on my deal. You know, if I'm out for two years, that's going to cost me however many more fights or whatever. This is, this is where my money comes from. In Brock's case, it, that's a very unique situation because, yeah, he's getting paid two and a half mil base to fight for the UFC, but he's also got this big WWE contract. So he comes in, gets the money, whether he tests pops for a, a banned substance or not – the only thing it could possibly cost him is a performance bonus, one of those fifty thousand dollars performance bonuses, and then he's back off to the WWE, right? I mean, yeah, that's just a very unique situation to be in, and and really the incentive to go out there and compete and win and take drugs was much higher than the incentive just to compete and lose mm-hmm. and test clean. Yeah, and because if he got knocked out, yeah. by let's say uh, Hunt. And he, you know, didn't have that extra strength to pull him off the cage and get those takedowns in the first round, which, you know, really helped, you know, snowball into the third round to win the fight. He doesn't get those takedowns. He backs off, gets knocked out. That takes a hit to his pro wrestling career, too, that, you know, here's the monster getting stretched out on canvas. It makes sense to go ahead and just take that chance because if he gets caught, really, it's better to win and be played dirty the incentive there is just too high. Like, I, I can't believe, like, the people that, you know, around and kind of look at this and go, well, why wouldn't you cheat? Yeah, and I also think that this— Because, I mean, people don't look at Brock and really think, that guy has never done anything. You right, know what I mean? If right. <laughs> yeah. Let's be honest. I mean, he has to fight that his whole life already, that he's always under suspicious of, uh, you know— Well, like, the thing that, uh, that threw me off mm-hmm. big time— is when I graduated high school, I was well into the 240s. Um, same height that I am now. I've competed, you know, 255, 265, you know. Um, so, you know, I've put on 20 pounds since I graduated high school, you know, of muscle. Probably put on 20, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes more uh, not muscle. But uh, I read a stat. I was looking through uh, things on Brock, and it said that when he graduated his senior year, he weighed 204 pounds. Wow. Really? Ah, so if me and Brock were the same age, I outweighed him by 50 pounds. Yeah. Wow. Whereas okay. now he outweighs me by. <laughs> and then he got he must have gotten bigger quick because by the time he was competing in NCAA wrestling, yeah, he had a huge size shredded, advantage. Yeah. yeah, wow. Okay. So kind of strange, right? Yeah. Well, it is strange, and it's just such a weird. Spurt. It's just Yeah, yeah, really. It's just such a weird uh, set of circumstances surrounding his unique position. Now, I think where this is going to be a, a big concern is the WWE for this reason. The WWE, um, you know, a handful of years back, and really a, a lot of it, there, there was a span of, I think, within the same year, two very notably tragic things happened in the world of pro wrestling in the WWE. Number one, Eddie Guerrero died. And this guy was a top uh, talent wrestler. 
he died Very of traumatic, uh, right? Yeah. yeah, and he died of uh, heart failure. But it was, you know, believed to be largely due to past steroid use, things like that. I mean, he was kind of an undersized guy, so in the world of pro wrestling, he was always sort of competing to, you know, get bigger. Then, uh, of course, the the probably the the greatest scandal in the history of pro wrestling that everybody knows about is uh, the death of Chris Benoit, where he murdered his family and then killed himself and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so basically around that time, uh, people, uh, I think, were clamoring for the WWE to start doing something to monitor, uh, uh, you know, steroid use in pro wrestling. They instituted their own wellness policy. You know what I laugh about this whole thing? Yeah. I remember when they, uh, maybe you could pull it up to find exactly, but they were sitting there talking about what Chris Benoit had in his system. Yeah. They're talking about the different testosterone or, and different things he had in his system. But then he was also like on Xanax, yeah. uh, different depression medication and all these things. And I'm like, um, is no one going to bring up the fact that he was on a bunch of prescription drugs yeah. too from the doctor? Like, yeah. you know, like those might have screwed with his head a little bit more than steroids because you can go down to the local gym. There's a lot of guys on juice. Not everybody's strangling their kid and you know and yeah. hanging themselves. And I'm not saying not being pro steroid, but uh, it's the same way I make jokes or I laugh. Not that I'm laughing at someone's death, but I just laugh at the, sometimes the skewed viewpoint of people when uh, uh, Jennifer really likes Whitney Houston when she passed away. And everybody goes, "Oh, it's drugs, it's drugs, it's drugs," and they come back with a toxicology report and they said that. No, um, she just had Xanax and other things in her system, so it wasn't drugs. I'm like, that's still drugs, people, just because you get it from the doctor. Like, how come we're not clamoring for the fact that people are abusing prescription drugs? Like, <laughs> yeah. everybody, marijuana, well, it wasn't marijuana, so it's not a drug. I'm like, wait a minute. These drugs are just as awful and are just as yeah. dangerous. Well, and, and, and I think, you know, as it seemed – you know, connected to, to Benoit and the way that a lot of these guys, even outside of athletics, like, you know, Michael Jackson and Prince have attached to him these, you know, feel good doctors who are just uh, very, very uh, loose with the prescription uh, notepad. Uh, he had he had a lot of that in his past, too. But when all of that happened, the WWE instituted this wellness policy. Now, theirs is is nothing compared to what USADA is. And, uh, for example, one of their top talents currently going, uh, Roman Reigns, is serving a first-time offender suspension for uh, Adderall. But the thing is, their first time, you know, USADA and UFC's first-time uh, offense, uh, in the case of, like, Chad Mendez, is a two-year suspension. Uh, WWE's is 30 days. So there's not even – there's barely 30 days that happens between pay-per-views. So it kind of doesn't hurt your career nearly as much. And I think it puts the WWE in a difficult position because this is maybe one of the unforeseen negative consequences of letting one of your entertainers cross back over into the world of legitimate sports competition because now if he's been scrutinized that way, doesn't that create a question, fair or unfair, to the WWE of well, how many how many of your other guys you know if they came over and were subject to even just a, a couple of weeks of USADA testing would uh, have some some uh, uh, pharmaceutical skeletons in their closet. There's no way to get around it. If they let him wrestle, people are going to or be able to the the conversation of the Monday morning at the water cooler will be that oh well, 
they allow their guys to be on steroids. Yep. They're, they're okay with it. Yep. Here, one of their guys got busted. They're not doing anything about it, you know. Uh, there's no way to avoid it. Tough time because uh, next month is the WWE SummerSlam, which is one of their – that's one of their couple of biggest events of the year. I think uh, there's like WrestleMania well, and a couple other injured. ones. So that way they can't sit there and say they're taking them out for that reason. Oh, right. I think they want to kill the dialogue as much as possible, yeah. hope that it goes away from well, see, the, the good common. No- see, the good news is in the world of professional wrestling, faking an injury is totally acceptable. Within the storylines. I think that it dies down quicker. I think that them addressing it head on, if I was their PR person, be like, come on, you know, like this is a whole, do we really want to look, do we really want to start walking down this path? Yeah. But instead of bringing up the conversation of, well, you're allowing him, not allowing him, be like, you know what, Uh, that's with him in the UFC and they're fighting. He just happens to be injured and not able to compete. So I think it kind of kills and doesn't really give, I think it's a way of them stopping the conversation without ever having to answer the question you know yeah okay makes some sense i bet there's been many a time where you know dana white wishes that uh covering up a, an uncomfortable scenario would be as easy as just uh hitting somebody in the back of the head with a steel chair yeah, Brock gets at a press injured, conference <laughs> and the guy lives up in the middle of nowhere as far as yeah. i'm aware of yeah you know it's not like the guy's on social media on a daily basis yeah so him just staying out of sight out of mind for the next six months Brock's not on Snapchat. Oh. He's not on Snapchat the way we are at username phone booth fight. Oh. So I think that's the best policy just because to address it, I mean, you're good at this PR. Like how do you as the WWE confront this and not make it worse? We're shocked, shocked to find out that uh, uh, PED use was going on in our locker right, You room. either got to take a stance that you're against it yeah. Which that opens up like, well, what about this guy? What about that guy? Are you guys going to increase your testing? Why don't you guys implement USADA? Yeah. You know? <laughs> or if you sit there and say you're for it, that's bad too. So I just think you just indifference. Indifference is great sometimes. You know what I might do if I was the WWE? I might just say, look, you know what? We First of all, it wasn't even our test. You know, so... But what we're going to do, even though that wasn't our test and even though that wasn't our protocol, we are going to recognize it as legitimate. We are going to uh, apply our first-time offender suspension to him, which is 30 days. If he should be caught again, it's greater penalties. And uh, I I think they could do that, and it would be acceptable. Well, does it count as a first offense or second offense? First, oh, because there were two separate tests? Two separate tests. Interesting. Yeah. I I wonder how that works, too. You failed one, and then you failed another one. Oh, you know what? I I saw that talked about this week. It actually normally would be counted as two separate offenses. And there was some question as to whether or not uh, that – would happen with uh uh i think with john jones but because of how he jones just failed one test yes but he tested uh for two different things and so i think the way that i saw that explained was that because of when he was notified that it had something to do with uh, th- that he had to be notified notified within a timely manner or something of the test for the, both of them to uh, to equate to multiple uh, suspensions or penalties. 
So I think right now for Jones, it's just one, despite the fact that he's tested for two estrogen blockers, which that was my segue to Jones and what's going on with him, John Jones, because uh, uh, estrogen blockers have been getting about uh, as much headlines as uh, Ted Cruz has uh, over the last 24 hours or so, at least in the MMA world. So So they're saying that until you know you failed the test, you can't be responsible for the next test that you fail. You know what? It wasn't in those words, but kind of. That's Sounds the way like I read it. Yeah. yeah, that is kind of the way that, that I read it. So perhaps uh, maybe we'll get some clarification on that in the next couple of weeks because was, that was something that was brought up that we have not previously seen you know, in, in the terms of, of USADA suspensions. We haven't really seen it happen to where it's like, well, what do you do when it's multiple tests on different dates, but the tests are close enough together that you didn't get the results of one before you heard about the second one? Yeah, yeah, very very good question. But nonetheless, in John Jones's case, uh, the uh, State Athletic Commission is saying that uh, that was, in fact, just like uh, Brock Lesnar, these estrogen blockers. And, um, you know, I don't know, Frank, if that's the kind of thing that's going to turn up in a supplement or not. You know, like what what they were able to do with Yoel Romero and getting the suspension reduced. Uh, okay, I was taking a supplement. This this banned substance wasn't on the, the ingredients label. It was in there. So you're going to cut me a break. Um, I'd be real surprised to find out that estrogen blockers were in John Jones's supplement. Yeah, because I, I have heard of people putting things in supplements. You know, you and I start off a supplement company, and mm-hmm. I want people to really be impressed by it. Me so too. We, we put a little bit of something, you know, we buy for the first six months production run that we throw in there. Yeah. Don't necessarily put it on the label. but Speed. Also, yeah. Guys are all on meth and we, we're, yeah. we're selling a fat burner. Right. All of a sudden, before you know it, we have the hottest product. Everybody wants it. Mm-hmm. But we pull the meth out of it. Yeah. By except, the time, except all our users age like 20 years and six uh, months. The dentist will love us. We yes. have to buy stock. Yes. <laughs> None of the models that we use in our photo shoots smile ever. <laughs> yeah, we don't have that. So, so, so I have heard those horror stories. In fact, being at the summit meetings, they've explained that to us why yeah. to be careful with some supplement brands because of that uh, practice of spiking a supplement to get interest initially in the supplement and then pulling the you know whatever you're doing illegally out of there. So you know by the time people realize you know a year or two three years later that. Maybe the supplement's not as great as they thought it was. Uh, they've made their money, you know, and can come out with a new supplement. <laughs> and so, uh, but I don't know. We'd have to sit here on Google, I guess, for a few minutes. But I'm, um, what athletic gains could be gathered from taking an estrogen blocker? Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as I know, it's always been something you give someone with cancer, you know, certain forms of breast cancer. They'll use blockers to try to, you know, because uh, certain cancers, you know, eat off of the estrogen, you know, helps them grow and develop. Yeah. Uh, you know, men taking side, the first time I ever heard of it, you know, with Chael, it was part of a, a cycle uh, with steroids. But to me, it was always to diminish the uh, negative impact of, of 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 steroids having the excess yeah. estrogen in your system, but as far as just taking estrogen blockers, how does that make you a better athlete? I don't think it would. I think it would just be uh, so avoiding that's why side I, effects. I agree with yeah. you. It's kind of hard to say that it was in a supplement because yeah. what supplement company is going to spend the money to put out there that? Yeah, they're going to advertise that to you, right? You know, yeah. Don't don't worry. We're going to avoid you. Uh, having man boobs uh, by putting this estrogen blocker in our supplement. I don't know. 
Well, we'll see. Uh, you know, obviously, well, you uh, know, what? they do sell estrogen-like stuff at the GNC. You know, I go there and I get my supplements and stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, uh, the one multivitamin that I really like. Uh, probably, you know, they don't pay me, so I won't say their name. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I pull a Brock. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I've been in there. You know, you, you browse around when you pick stuff up, and I've looked and I've seen that stuff. You know, like hey, you know, this takes you know the stuff that boosts testosterone naturally, and I always think it's a gimmick. I'm like, you know, okay, you can't really buy something at GNC that's gonna do that for you, right? You know, that yeah. everybody would just be buying it like crazy, right? Uh, and then right alongside any of the pro hormones, they always have those, you know, the faux estrogen blockers that supposedly, you know, you know, help counter the effects of how strong our pro hormone is. <laughs> I'm like, All yeah. right. If that was the case, all the male rejuvenation clinics would be out of business. You know, why go to the doctor and get testosterone if I can go buy it here from the GNC? You know, well, USADA talk is not dying down anytime soon. Obviously, with uh, big names like Brock Lesnar and John Jones in the mix, Chad Mendez now out for two years. He, by the way, uh, that was a growth hormone. Uh, and man, I mean. What does that mean to the career of somebody like Chad Mendez? I mean, two yeah. years for him. That despite sucks. the He's coming off of a loss, he has to wait now. Well, yeah, and despite getting knocked out by Frankie Edgar, I mean, you were still right there in top five contention. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's uh, a, a lot on the line. And where will his career be in two years uh, when he returns is a good question. All of that uh, leads up to very strong words from Mark Hunt this week. Did you hear about this? Mark Hunt gave uh, an interview to his own website, basically. This is something they published at MarkHunt.tv. Frank, Mark Hunt basically uh, took off the gloves, pun intended, with the UFC. Listen to some of what he had to say. Quote, The way I see it, the Brock Lesnar doping thing is just another reason why we need a fighter's association. These guys, meaning the UFC, are just making up the rules as they go. First, the Reebok thing. Then Brock's four-month testing exemption. Connor gets pulled off a card for not doing a press conference that me or Brock didn't go to anyway. Work that out. There's probably a heap of others. Uh, Asked if he thought that the UFC had accumulated too much power. Hunt agreed vehemently. He said, quote, You just have to look at how Ariel Hawani gets his media pass taken away because he broke a story about Brock, and then he gets it back when other media stood up for him and called out the UFC. These guys are just making shit up as they go. Uh, Yet fighters refuse to support other fighters when they fuck us over. They say they're cleaning up the sport, yet I've risked my health uh, two times against guys cheating since since the USADA thing started. He's counting you in that. Uh, I was told Brock was going to be tested when I took the fight. He comes in looking... Frickin' juicy as hell, and then I find out he's popped after the pay-per-view has already been sold. It's ridiculous the fact that they haven't even bothered to make contact with me since all of this happened just proves they don't care. All right. (laughs) How do you argue? Yeah, um... Do you think it surprises people? Just something that that I, I key on right there. At very last part that he says, that he hasn't heard from anybody in the organization since Brock Lesnar happened. Do you think that surprises the average fan when they hear that? I think it does. 
I think the average fan probably imagines that whenever something like this happens, there's everything stops. They get everybody on the phone who could possibly be involved. They talk to you about what's going on. They work out a solution and a situation. And that's not always the case, right? I mean, we keep we hear about fighters who find out that they've been pulled from fights on Twitter or they find out that other fights have been made or they find out they're yeah. defending their title through somebody else's press release and things like that. And I, I guess these kind of stories probably go along those same lines. Yeah, I don't know why there's a lack of communication. I see it on a personal level. Yeah. Um, doesn't make sense to me why they don't make phone calls. It's kind of strange that that – Brock would fail, and this is in the media, and no one reaches out to Mark to talk to him to get his input to to make it seem like you know they care. I understand they're dealing with things right now, but you know it's, it's a fifteen minute phone call. Yeah, probably uh, soothes a lot of uh, Mark's anger. Yeah, and 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 also you know Mark is in this situation. You know the. He, it seems like he's kind of a guy that you 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 want feeling good about the organization at this point because he's in the right. Like nothing bad has happened. You know what I mean? So it seems like if he's your fighter and you're the yeah. promotion that you would want to make sure that he's okay in this moment because he's going to be the person that you you would want representing. You would want talking. You know that that uh, uh, and, and also the fact that he lost the fight. I mean, that's kind of another thing, too. It seems like you would consider that, hey, that guy lost a fight and then this happens. He's probably going to be really upset, you know. Uh, And he's already said, uh, you know, that he thinks he deserves some of some of Brock Lesnar's money for the for uh, for the transgression. So I don't know. But, uh, you know, the thing about a fighters association and I am a I am across the board, a big believer in unions. I I don't, and this gets into some of my politics. I mean, I I believe that uh, one only you only need to look at a life without unions to see why you need a world with them. It's easy to say you don't need a union until you need a union. If you just look at labor conditions from the early part of the last century, if you look at professional sports, you know the way baseball was, for example, before it had a players' union. Uh, it needed a union. Now, once you have a union, unions can become very corrupt, no doubt. I mean, it's a balancing yeah. act. But, uh, you know, the, the, the problem with trying to organize a union at this stage of the game, you got to do it really, at a, at a, if at all possible, in the beginning, in the genesis of a movement or a craft or a sport or an organization back when no one's making any money. Because the problem now is, you're in order to get, actually gain, get any uh, traction on a union, you would need the big players supporting the union, and they don't want to do that because they're the ones making the millions now. Well, how did baseball do it? Baseball did it with Kurt Flood. So baseball. So if you ever look up the story of Kurt Flood, he was the guy who challenged. Uh, uh, baseball's uh, resistance to, to free agency in court. Basically, the idea that a team could sort of own the contract in, in perpetuity of a player. And it cost him his career. I mean, he's not a guy who would have been a Hall of Fame player anyway, but by the time the whole thing played out in court, he was too old to play. 
like that was the end of his career. And most baseball players uh, will sort of herald him as a as a labor hero because they look at him and they say, okay, that's a guy who really sacrificed his own career uh, for the sake of of future fighters in the sport. Our closest example to that would probably be Eddie Alvarez. If you remember the legal battle he got into with Bellator, like, I mean, finally it was resolved, but it was looking for a while like Eddie Alvarez, if he really continued to stand on principle, might just get old in court. You know, like he might just age right through his fighting career while he was in legal limbo. So that's kind of the concept uh, behind uh, work cut, what Kurt Flood did. But I just think it's 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 difficult to do at this point, especially when you're talking about really uh, a union within a promotion. I mean, not just a uh, a union within a sport. I mean, it would basically have to be something along the lines, I guess, of, you know, I mean, like, I guess there's an NFL players union. You know, I guess it's not that it couldn't be done well, at all. But. What about even just at least the Muhammad Ali Act? How so, that would help us out? Well, that would help uh, in the sense of, you know, to draw a political analogy, it's kind of like breaking up the big banks. I mean, the whole concept of the, the Ali Act or a big portion of it was that there were too many people involved in the business of boxing who were wearing too many hats. You know, it's kind of like when you go to L.A. or when you go to California, there are actual uh, laws against somebody being, let's say, both a manager and an agent. They're, they're very, because of the entertainment industry, they pay a lot of attention to avoiding conflicts of interest. They don't want one person working for you, Frank, that it's, uh, as a manager, one thing is in their best interest, but in an agent, another thing is, is best interest. It's kind of like, it's like, this, it's like the mortgage crisis when, you know, banks got involved in, uh, in uh, uh, credit default swaps, things like that, that, uh, I mean, to get too wonky here, but uh, that, you know, they, they realized that they had conflicts of interest abounding, and that's the whole idea of the Ali Act is avoiding things like that. I mean, it's... I think it's it's an interesting position that Hunt is putting himself in because he's been around long enough in the sport that he can be the voice of that, and at the same time, uh, he's he's at the top. You know, he's not one of these guys who is uh, you know, uh, I mean, uh, to to use dismissive terms, but the, that somebody would characterize as a has been or you know his yeah. greatest days were behind him or whatever. So. You know, just on principle alone, you got to hand it to him. He's he's standing up for something that is definitely not in his financial or in terms of his employer, his political best interest to do. Yeah. Well, so then going on to the Muhammad Ali Act on advantages, why would the UFC not want there to be a Muhammad Ali Act? How well, does it hurt them? I, I don't think any promoter wants that because it it increases regulation. I mean, I say they don't want it from just a business standpoint because it's going to increase regulations it's going to increase scrutiny on your business practices i would imagine things like uh uh you know gosh i mean i'd really have to dig into it but i would assume things like antitrust come into play at some point you know where i mean like the the ufc has already had its flirtation with uh you know suits over monopolies and things like that i mean i don't even know where that suit still stands the one that the uh, fighters outside the organization had brought that's right uh, was it kung lee and kung uh, lee and a quarry i think yeah. was involved in i'm not even sure where that stands right now but things like that 
um, uh, for for as much of an inconvenience as they may be right now with the UFC. I think if federal regulation came more into play in the sport, they would they would open themselves up even more for things like that. So and maybe that's something that new ownership yeah, will have to contend with. They actively uh, have a, a lobbyist. Yeah, working against it. Right. Right, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they're willing to pay someone a lot of money. Yeah. To give contributions to campaigns to make sure that this doesn't go. Yeah, and I think there's been a sea change politically because, you know, boxing has always been considered a legitimate sport. I mean, it's been on the fringe of legitimate sports, but it's not like, uh, you know, the, 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 old, the old hands in, in Congress that had uh, roots to professional boxing, whether it be, uh, you know, John McCain or uh, Harry Reid, both of whom were, you know, amateur boxers and lifelong fight fans and things like that. They were never arguing for the abolition of boxing. They were arguing for the regulation of it. The only only congressional experience that mixed martial arts has had up to this point is people like John McCain back in the day arguing for its abolition. Now we're past that, but it's kind of like be careful what you wish for. Because now that everybody is perceiving your sport as legitimate and not trying to ban it anymore, now they're really going to try to regulate it. And I think that's probably the next step. And that may also be why uh, the Fertitas, I mean, I'm just speculating, but that might also be why they've chosen now to, to go ahead and get out. You know, they could yeah. see a lot of these things coming and think to themselves, you know what, let the new ownership deal with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, perfect segue to uh, talk a little politics uh, and what happened this week at the GOP convention. Now, before we do that, Frank, I just want to give a quick update on our Fund Anything campaign. Fundanything.com forward slash phone booth fighting. We haven't talked about this in uh, a couple of weeks, uh, but it's not because uh, it hasn't been successful over there. We really appreciate all of you guys who have uh, pledged your uh, contributions and in, in to various levels. Uh, to help us grow the show, uh, what we're doing is we've launched a campaign, Frank and I have, fundanything.com forward slash phone booth fighting, to enhance the production quality of the show that we're going to be uh, really stepping up over the next month or so, adding video cameras, things like that. And uh, we had to do this uh, because there's a little bit of lag time between the show getting popular as it has and us actually hearing from uh, the bigger name sponsors. As I've explained in uh, weeks past, those sponsors typically will look one to two fiscal quarters out for their budgets. So, you know, that's us talking about the end of the year before uh, we hopefully get some of those guys on board. So in the meantime, what we've done at fundanything.com forward slash phone booth fighting is create some uh, financial incentives for you uh, to back the show. Uh, You get uh, some fun rewards in return, everything from... uh, a uh, a commemorative limited edition poster at the $10 level. Uh, $25 gets you a limited edition commemorative T-shirt and on up where uh, there's really some unique, uh, truly one-of-a-kind experiences. Uh, Frank and I will come to your house and host a fight-watching party. You can sit in on an episode of the podcast. We've already had four or five people sign up to do that. In fact, one of the guys, Matt, came up to us at EBI 
and uh, said, hey, I was the first guy to sign up, and he's going to be co-hosting his segment with us, Frank, when you and I return to EBI 8 in September. So all of those things are uh, available for your perusal at fundanything.com forward slash phone booth fighting. And I wanted to just share a couple of comments that people have posted with their, uh, with their pledges, Frank. This uh, came from a guy in France, Thomas. He says, Frank, uh, uh, he uh, pitched in for the early supporter commemorative T-shirt and signed poster combo pack. He said, thanks, guys, for all the entertainment you provide each podcast. Um, uh, I wish you all the best. Uh, You deserve each and every dollar of it. P.S. I'm listening all the way from France. And listen to this, Frank. Your podcast has already helped me improve my English way more than all of my years in school. (laughs) That's definitely a compliment for you because (laughs) there's no way anybody feels like my English is going (laughs) Oh, gosh. I, it makes me think that somewhere there's a French guy walking around mispronouncing Inja Kawani and thinking that he's, <laughs> <laughs> that he's doing it right. Valerie Letourneau. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me see here. Let me just uh, pull up one or two uh, other comments here. And this has been uh, very nice of you guys to leave some of these comments along with your pledges. Uh, here's one from Alberto Sosa. Uh, he got a T-shirt. He says, uh, enjoying the podcast, big fan of yours uh, inside and out of the cage. Frank, you and Richard have started something here that will do nothing but grow and become more successful. Looking forward to more laughs and your thoughts on current events. Well, you're in luck, Alberto, because we're about to talk about the uh, GOP convention. Uh, also, one more from David McGinn. He says, love the podcast. Great mix of UFC talk and intellectual debates. It's just like being in university again. Thank you, guys, from Fredericton, New Brunswick, and please keep up the great work. You can tell uh, when a guy's uh, from Canada because he talks about how he was at university. They never say they were in college. Yeah, they were always, Europe. Yeah, they were always at uh, Everybody university. but us, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, this week was uh, the Republican convention, and uh, I make no secret of the fact, Frank, that I am a uh, liberal with a capital L. When I say liberal, I mean a real liberal. I mean a Bernie Sanders liberal, not a moderate like uh, uh, Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton. But much like Chael Sonnen, my political opposite, uh, I think one of the reasons he and I uh, enjoy speaking to one another is we both enjoy the sport of politics i often say that i don't like other sports i i uh i don't know anything about them i'm not a fan of them uh for me to enjoy a sport i need the constant threat of total incapacitation and that that uh, offers me combat sports and politics that's uh uh so this week was interesting the uh the gop convention was in cleveland Tonight was uh, Donald Trump's big speech, so that was the big finale of the convention. The Democrats do theirs next week. We'll talk about that as well. But every night there was something interesting happening. First of all, did you know Dana White spoke at the Republican I convention? Didn't. I yeah. didn't. Did they air it? Yeah, it aired. Uh, it was. I caught the first night. I watched the whole thing just because uh, Marcus Luttrell. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Told, did I tell you my Marcus Luttrell story? No. Navy SEAL, right? Yeah. I actually got to meet him uh, before one of my fights. We had a mutual friend, mm-hmm. brought him up in the hotel room, and oh. I just thought, hey, my friend Marcus. I'm like, hey, man, nice to meet you. And just nice guy, laid back. It wasn't until later that someone's like, hey, man, that's the Lone Survivor, the book that came out. At the yeah. time, it was just the book. Mm-hmm. 
And then later on, you know, Mark Wahlberg made the movie. And yeah. I was shocked at how laid back and cool the guy was. He walked in the room, you know, hey, how's it going, man? Just your typical, just everyday dude. And after now, you know, uh, learning who he was, I was like, wow, man, that's pretty impressive. Because I run into people all the time that come from the special serve, you know, yeah. that kind of walk around with that, you know, that air of like, I'm a badass. And this guy who really is a badass walked in, smiled, you know, hey, how's it going? Seemed like the most easygoing dude in the world. You'd never guess that the guy is a, you know, a trained killer. You yeah. know, that, that, you know, no bullshit the guy could, you know, is a dangerous human being. Yeah, he spoke. Um, and uh, Dana's portion was the first night of the convention. It was a short speech. It was pretty early on in the evening. And the, look, the story is this. Dana White is a longtime friend of Donald Trump's. Back when the UFC was having a hard time getting uh, you know, licensed or regulated anywhere, uh, Trump hosted a couple of events. The first, I believe Dana said the first two events in the, the Zufa era at his casino in Atlantic City. I fought there. Oh, you did? You were on with it. Okay. So, uh, you know, he talked about the fact that, uh, you know, Trump backed the event. Trump attended the event. I mean, it, it, it was... Dana didn't come out and tell you any reason politically you should vote for Dana or for uh, for uh, Donald Trump. It was basically Donald Trump's been my friend for a long time, and he returns my calls, huh. and he took a chance on having an event when uh, a lot of other people wouldn't. So that's fine. It's not a political. I mean, if you're trying to, look, if you're trying to convince me why I should vote for you. Let me just say this. I look at you like I'm hiring you for a job. If you're a politician, it's great that your your dick works and you got three kids or whatever, but that's not doesn't have anything to do with why I'm going to vote for you. Okay, so don't bother showing me a whole bunch of stuff about your kids. Let's get right down to brass tacks and tell me what you're going to do if I choose to hire you because I'm hiring you with my vote. Right. So all of the pomp and circumstance I'm not a big fan of. It was uh, interesting. So to you are s- not voting for Trump. Uh, well, no, but for specific <laughs> reasons, though, not because uh, Dana was going to sway me one way or another with the fact that What's Trump a, a specific uh, likes the UFC. All right, so uh, let's. Uh, all right, we'll get to that, and then um, and then we'll talk about. So are you going to vote for Hillary stuff. or just not yeah, cast a no, vote? No, no, I am, but I but I would have much preferred to cast my general election ballot for Bernie Sanders. You know, uh, Hillary Clinton will be a move to the right of Barack Obama which is not a direction I'm interested in heading. Uh, Barack Obama was not liberal enough for me. I wanted, uh, I wanted Barack Obama to be Franklin Roosevelt to George W. Bush's Herbert Hoover. I mean, I thought it was that important. We needed a new deal. We needed the 21st century version of what FDR's first 100 days in office were like. And, and we didn't get that because I actually think that Franklin Roosevelt was the last real liberal elected president. I think that every Democrat since him that's been elected president has actually, has actually been, to one degree or another, a moderate, and that includes Barack Obama. Uh, here is, for me, the bottom line on my politics, and, and then your thoughts here, because we'll, huh. we'll just do a little back and forth. For me, even though the faces change, okay, even though uh, the faces and the genders and the personalities change, the, philo- the, the philosophy does not. For me, politics comes down simply to do you believe 
that supply-side economics works, yes or no? I say it does not. I say it's been tried numerous times since 1980. Every time it's been tried, just look at deficit charts and see how literally off the charts those numbers went. Because the concept of if you give the wealthiest among us the biggest proportionate tax breaks, that they're going to take that money and reinvest it into the economy, and the benefits will trickle down to those of us at the bottom until it rains on us a little bit, has been tried and tried again, and it fails every single time. And the numbers simply back me up on that. I get why you, you think, don't think the that numbers are skewed by the fact that we don't have jobs really in the U.S. anymore, that because of our tax scheme that everybody, basically all the businesses – send their jobs overseas. So if you think about mm-hmm. the economy, you don't think that's the strongest factor? Like I look at Detroit, you know, like yes. that to me is the future of most, uh, yes. our, besides technology and, and, and cyber world, mm-hmm. the U.S., we don't, it's too expensive. We were just having a conversation with Chris Angel. Yes. Remember he was talking about his magic boxes yep. and that hit me where he sat there and goes, I wish I could make them in the U.S., but I would have to charge $60. Yes. A box where I can, if I ship it and have the guys out of China make it, I can pass that savings on. Not that he's making more money. Yeah. It's not like he sends it to China and now he still charges 60 bucks. He's like, I want to give this box to, to my fans as cheaply as possible. Right. So it's $20. But see, that's part of my argument is that, and, and to, to, to bring it to tonight, Donald Trump is up there. Uh, arguing protectionism as a trade policy, which in principle I'm I'm, I'm kind of down with. I mean, that's something that he and Bernie Sanders have in common. Here's the problem, Frank. He's arguing that as he's wearing one of his signature Trump neckties that are made in China. And he's going to tell you, well, I, I would like to have uh, had this tie made in America, but it would cost three times as much. I understood why Chris Angel was telling us what he was telling us the other night, but he's not running for president. He's not telling us how things are going to be one way in his administration right. while he's busy showing us the box that was made in China. So to your point, though, yes, I actually that's a big part of what I take as my economic philosophy. It is the fact that... In the, if you look at life in the 1960s in this country and, and prior, here was a fact. If, because of American manufacturing, all right, if you worked a 40-hour job for a week, uh, for, for a living per week, you were going to be okay. Yeah, your you wife could stay home and yep. you had a car. Yep. You weren't going to be rich. You weren't going to no, be rich. But you were middle class. You could, you could be a single-income family. You could have a couple of kids, a house, a car. You'd be middle class. Unless you're upper, there's no single-income families. No, there's not. And we have, for people in this country that work legitimate 40-hour-a-week jobs. Plus some. <laughs> some of those people, a lot of them live below the poverty line and are called working poor. And that right there is a travesty. Now, the reason that happens, to, to, to answer your, your challenge, the reason that happens, so look at the candidate from four years ago, Mitt Romney, Bain Capital. What did they do? How did they make their money? They didn't manufacture no. something. What no, they it doesn't did, produce anything. No, they specialized in finding a compromised corporation, right. stripping away the assets, and 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 basically being corporate vultures, feeding off of it. Yeah. Right. So there is an example of the fallacy of trickle down economics because if you give somebody like that the lion's share of the tax breaks. 
He's not going to then uh, use that money to reinvest in the economy that props up the product that he manufactures, like in generations past. But doesn't he invest in the product? It's just we're investing overseas. That's what I'm saying, though. But that's, See, what, that's the, what I'm saying. So, uh, am I? But though I'm questioning: Are we mad at the businessman that sends his business overseas because the way our system's set up, it's cheaper for him? Mm-hmm. Or, but if we set the system up to where like import taxes were outrageous, yep. and people now started you know producing things home, yes, then giving those guys tax breaks, tax breaks seems like it would make sense to me because I'm like, well, then the guys can open up more shops and more businesses yes. within our borders, and I'm okay with that, and that is the the one point that that I will philosophically agree with Donald Trump on, just as I agree with Bernie Sanders right. on. But here's the problem: you've got to talk about how you're going to practically implement that. The right. reason that's that too vague of, of a concept, yes, but to get and it to actually work. The reason that kind of stuff has not been done uh, up to now is exactly the example Chris Angel was giving us: is you're going to be paying three times as much for his magic kit or for your necktie or for whatever product it is and you're going to be uh it's it's like the uh it's like the line in the 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 toby keith song that uh dan henderson walks out to the cage uh with uh made in america where he says the guy paid a little more for a uh tag in the back of his shirt that says made in the usa well you you better be prepared to to do that well it seems like we're really at an unfair advantage then because as the u.s we have labor laws that don't allow me to i mean obviously if i use illegal immigration there's ways i can go around it but not really in any kind of production job Uh, that's more or less seems to be more in agriculture but in china they don't have those same restrictions and laws. So as a country that would produce things, we're already at such a deficit. We can't, we can't produce right. things as cheaply as and anybody. You're right, and not be economically competitive. And if you strip away those labor laws, you've got pre-industrial revolution uh, labor conditions, which we do not want. We've been there, and we don't want to go back. So so you ha- the only answer to that is to say to ourselves as Americans, we're going to pay more for goods uh, because we have a higher uh, sta- labor standard than countries who can make those uh, those goods cheaper. But but my 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 central point is this: that in 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 this modern era, the concept of supply side economics doesn't work because when you if you if you give those corporations and those businessmen. Uh, unregulated, unqualified tax breaks. They say thank you very much, and they just continue to ship the jobs overseas. Now, here's what I would be in favor, but that's of. not because of the trickle down. Because I, I look at China; they're creating mm-hmm. a whole middle class there. They have so many less restrictions that we do. Oversight, okay, business wise, and yes, and look at what their economy is. Com- I mean, they're creating cities. I mean, there's a whole middle class of individuals now that they're creating. But they're doing it with our money. See, the problem is we're not telling our businessmen, we're not telling our American businessmen, okay, we're going to give you this tax break unconditionally. We're going to give it to you if you're keeping the job stateside, if you're manufacturing. Oh, so there's the answer itself. Well, yeah, but here's the problem. Those are the big donors to the party, to the candidates, so they're not going to tell them that. Good luck telling... You know, some of these guys, uh, your your Koch brothers and your Sheldon Adelsons and all these other guys, wow. hey, we're going to – now your tax breaks uh, – now your corporate tax breaks come with conditions. They want to be on the honor system. 
They want you to just go, you know what? Trust us. See, that, the whole lobbying thing that you brought up will help yeah. segue into why I actually am voting for Trump. Uh-huh. Is what? The fact that every other politician I've always had an issue with uh, because by the time they make it to where they're a mover or shaker, uh-huh. they're owned by so many people. I mean, you look at it right now. The UFC wants to have something done. Uh, that's why I always make jokes when I have friends that are like, oh, they're going to ban guns. I'm like, no, they're not. Mm-hmm. Do you know how much the NRA gun lobbyists you know, right. put into campaigns? It's never going to happen, man. <laughs> yeah. There's too much money there. And our system is run so much on that, that that basically it's like, well, you know, how do I as a private citizen ever compete with the interest of big business who has lobbyists on payroll who are making campaign contributions? They run the government. I mean, they basically influence decisions. And the one thing I've seen with Hillary is that she is a prototypical uh, government politician you know lifelong career politician she's somebody that has made millions of dollars because of her political prowess doing businesses outside with her and, and her husband and so i look at it as like well if you hate how the system is running right now then one hell of a curveball might actually shake things up and the fact that trump has never been a politician the, and i think that's even why his own party might have an issue with him running there's so many constituents that are like wait a minute who owns this guy well, yes, but at the same time, though, his millions have come from that same private sector that Hillary Clinton has derived hers from, and and exponentially but not more of in the political case of Trump prowess. It wasn't that he could do favors or pass bills to to garner that influence. It was because he could make people money. If you think about it, I mean, that's the only contribution that that Trump comes to a table. Can you make me money? I mean, okay. really, if you think about it, like, that's his power is like, well, if I can make you money, you're going to want to do business with me, right? So, Whereas Hillary Clinton, it's like, I might not necessarily make you money, but you know that, you know, new regulation that might be coming up that's maybe put a damper and you have to hire extra employees because of this new regulation. What if that doesn't come true? But here's the problem with taking a, a private sector corporate mindset of somebody like Trump who has been successful and him trying to apply that same set of rules to uh, to to governing. OK, he's already indicated things like, OK, I'm going to apply the same rules of negotiation to the federal government and the national debt that I reply that that I apply to a business deal. OK, so here's what he's going to do. So, for example, something he's done in the past with a, 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 a building he's built. Right. Mm-hmm. He's he's built it. Uh, he's gone to the builders when he's uh, half finished, and he said, uh, you know what, guess what, uh, this isn't working out the way that I thought it would, uh, so you can just, he's told the bank, you just take the building back, right? right? He bought it back for cents on the dollar. Exactly. Fine if you're in private business and you do that. You cannot do that with the credit of the American government. And that's what he's indicated he would do. Uh-huh. He's indicated that he would actually say to America's creditors, hey, maybe we're not going to pay you at all. How, you know, you're going to have to take a haircut here. You're going to have to cut us a deal. That will have such wide-reaching, economically catastrophic results in a way that he has never seen in the private sector that uh, it, it could throw us into a full-throated recess- recession. And here's why, Frank. See, this is, and when I talk about central tenets of my political philosophy, mm-hmm. and really supply-side economics is kind of the beginning and the end of it. I don't care about 
whether you like you know, I mean there's a, there's a whole host of social issue things that are way more on the back burner for me than the economic issue. But yeah, I try not to even argue about the social aspects anymore because it seems like most people we hang out with are very socially liberal. I agree with you on most social yeah, levels. I'm yeah. extremely liberal socially. Yeah. It's just fiscally I can't get with the Democrats. But here's so, here's, a, here's uh, something. That's why I keep looking. I'm like, oh, I, yeah. I kinda, every time something gets brought up, I'm like, yeah, yeah I kind of actually like the way the Republicans are talking about that. Well, here's something to keep in mind about that, and then I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why I think it ultimately comes down to why there will be no change, is that the when people talk about, well, I'm going to vote for this person for president because they've been successful in private business. You know, they've they've handled a staff. They've hired people. They've fired people. They've ba- they've balanced well, a budget. Really, they understand. As all far this. as I know, I mean, when's the last time we ever had a situation where someone's running for president that has never even held mayor? You know, they've never been a governor. They never. No, not that's legitimately gotten the nomination. They've at least been a governor or something like that. But but you do hear the argument made, and this was made in the case of Mitt Romney. That hey, they've been a successful businessman. So they, if they can run a company, they can run a country. Here's the problem with that: the government, the United States government, is not designed to run like a business. It's the opposite of a business. It's a nonprofit. In a business, you fire people who underachieve, right? You just right. you just fire them. You cut off the fat. In in our society, not only do we not fire them, we subsidize them. Because we do not fire our citizens. So you're saying the purge is a good idea. No. I'm saying there are people who would think it was a good idea. And if and I will say this. I'm not going to lie. There's times yeah. I watched that movie and went, man, there, there is some. Uh... No, listen. And, and if, you're, if, you're, if you're arguing based on that, then yes, I get it. At least you're being true to self. But my point is that you're, you're really philosophically mistaken if you fall for what seems like a logical concept, which is, oh, they've handled a business, they can handle a government. And I fall the, into that category. The, but too. it's the opposite. It is the exact opposite. The, the, the government is actually set up to be a nonprofit. So therefore, you know who's far more qualified to run the United States government than a private sector businessman? Somebody who's had experience with nonprofit organizations. And you know who that is? Barack Obama. <laughs> so you've actually had for the last eight years, if you're just going to use that standard, wow. somebody who's more qualified. So that's something that I look, I actually will hold it against you. If you're, uh, it doesn't mean I wouldn't vote for you if you were a successful businessman, but that's not going to convince me to support you uh, right. in your, uh, in your endeavor. So now with Trump specifically, and then, and then, uh, you know, I'll, I'll pass this ball to you. With Trump specifically, I told you when, when I got over here tonight, we were watching his speech, which, by the way, I heard was the longest uh, uh, convention nomination acceptance speech, I think, since Bill Clinton's in 92. I mean, he went on for a long time. But one thing he— I think I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> one thing he did not do—that was actually a winning vote that I cast. Uh, one thing that he did not do is mention one specific number— about the cost of anything he wanted to do. He's going to build a great big wall between here and Mexico. Uh, he's going to have fantastic protectionist-style uh, trade deals. He's going to... He was big about restoring law and order. I, I don't know But don't exactly. you think that's very much all politicians? I mean, next week when we see Hillary Clinton go up there, anything she proposes, there's... 
hardly any move you can make in life that doesn't have some kind of backlash. There's not some type of negative results. It's like, well, I'm going this direction because the positive that this direction is going to take me is going to outweigh the negative that I'm going to garner from this decision. There's there's essentially no free lunch, right? You know, you you move one direction, you're going to lose something, you gain something. But do you think Hillary would be up there explaining that, well, we're going to do this, this, and this. It's going to cost us this, this, and this, and we're not going to like that, but we're going to garner this. Yes, that, I think you will hear some of that. You will, And okay. I'll tell you who else you'll hear it from, and I think you'll hear it very specifically from, is Bill Clinton. Because if you go back and you look at Bill Clinton's speech that he gave uh, four years ago uh, when uh, Barack Obama ran for his second term, that was a masterfully detailed explanation of the economic approach of Barack Obama. And I think you're going to see that not only will Hillary Clinton be more skilled at doing that than Donald Trump, but Bill Clinton will be more skilled at it uh, than Donald Trump will be. And specifics are important to me in terms of you telling me not only what you want to do, but how you're going to do it. I mean, for example, the concept of building a big giant wall between here and Mexico is absolutely economically cost prohibitive. And the reason that Donald Trump will not tell you how much it will cost is because he doesn't want to admit to that fact. So what he will say... I wish he would have picked Newt Gingrich. Oh, yeah. No, listen. I think if he would have picked Newt Gingrich, that would have countered the Hill, Bill Clinton influence of what Bill Clinton can bring to the table. Because anything you can want to say that he passed, yeah. you'd be like, well, who was the, uh, who was the speaker, speaker of the house? Because <laughs> they work together. Because, I mean, if you sure, think about it, sure. I haven't seen from the little bit of history I understand about the government, whenever you have a Democratic or, you know, whenever the both the executive branch and yeah. the legislative branch are dominated by the same party, it doesn't seem like things get done as well. It seems like it's always been... Well, except I'll tell you this though, except the, the the flip side has been the case in the latter part of the Obama term where the Republicans uh got back control of both houses of Congress. That was and just a backlash. Dug their yeah, heels I, in the sand. But typically but, I mean but well I, when Bill Clinton did a bunch of his you, stuff, Bill Clinton yeah. it was a Republican ran. No, I will Senate, I right? will give you this. Yeah, I will give you house. Uh, house. house. I will give you this about uh Newt Gingrich. Uh as as much as I philosophically disagree with him, he is a guy who can articulate his position. There's no yeah. question about that. But that that is something that is important to me that you be able to tell me why you believe what you believe and how you're going to to do it. Here's what concerns me about not just Donald Trump, but what this means for the the state of our of our voting base in in this country is that I think eight years ago, Sarah Palin was an interesting um, testing of the waters with the general public because she was someone and you know, I mean, I'm going to speak dismissively, but candidly here, she's honestly someone who didn't know a lot about the way federal government worked. She didn't understand why there was, yeah, she did not understand why there was an East and West Germany. She thought Africa was a country. I mean, there was, there was a number of things that were very troubling, but people, even though she did not win the election with John McCain, There was a wide base of the voting populace who just didn't care. They liked her. They liked the fact that she shot a gun and kept the special needs baby and all. Yeah, we can segue into what I want to talk about next. Why I think Trump's going to win the whole thing. Okay, good, good. And so that that point you made. Yeah. Okay. So that to me was an example of it concerned me at the time eight years ago because I was like, wow. 
people don't automatically disqualify her based on what she doesn't know. I'm not talking about disagreement philosophy. I'm talking about, wow, you really, you are a white belt trying to train with black belts. Well, like I somebody's going to get hurt in do this Do you know politically equation. I think the people care most about? Yeah. Looks. Mm. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. When I sit there and I go about why is this person going to make it, is yeah. if they look the part, yeah. it seems like that's the first thing that people... And so now with Donald Trump, what you're seeing is, and and I think this is the great consternation of the Republican Party in this election year, is you've got a guy who just does not talk about policy. He, I mean, he'll tell you some things. I'm going to build a big wall. We're going to be great. We're going to be awesome. He speaks in adjectives. But he does not speak in policy specifics. He does not talk about specifically what we're going to do and specifically how much is it going to cost. And here's the scary thing for me, Frank, whether or not I agree or disagree with him, People seem to like that. They seem to like the fact that he's not getting boring with his all his yeah. facts and figures. These days are very ner- knee-jerking, emotional that scares conversations me. that get responses. But that goes off, like we were talking earlier before we went on air, uh, his wife, that the speech yeah. was. And, oh, the plagiarism right, night. Right, the plagiarism. Yeah. You're like, oh, what a disaster. And I told you, yeah. no, there's no way that that wasn't done on purpose. It was too much hmm. the same speech. So you're telling me that, so you purposely plagiarized it, which they, the person who wrote the speech had to have known that they were doing that. It's just too much. <laughs> that was like verbatim. Yeah. Wow. There's certain phrase. It wasn't like a phrase here or there, but there were certain aspects of the speech. I've seen it where they for 30 seconds, you can put them side by side and they're both saying the same thing over and over again. It's like, well, you knew that in nowadays age, that speech was in 2008 by, uh, Michelle, yeah. that everybody's going to know about that. In but, 2000, but... 2008, right? Oh, 2008, you're right. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Um, I'm jumping way back. Yeah, 2008. And so uh, it just shows uh, that they understand how people's minds work. Yeah. That garners so much more attention for that speech had they not done that. Would we even be talking about the speech? Would it you cre- even turn yeah. it on? I mean, you would have. You're a hardcore you know, guy that likes... I, no, I get it. I get it, though. But you're saying... Yeah. People on more my level of politics, which is like, well, if it makes mainstream, I'll pay attention. I would never had watched yeah. that speech. Yeah. Now, myself and everybody who clicks on the internet and goes on any kind of, whether it's Chive or Imager mm-hmm. or nine, you know, 4chan, all the different websites mm-hmm. out there, there's some kind of post made to it that now you know who she is. And I know that it's, at first, we're thinking it was negative press, but politically, I look at all the things that we thought that Trump did was going to be taken negatively, but just made him more popular. Because then it gets you in the conversation, people talk about you, and then they can come in and adjust that conversation. I think that the guy is a master wizard at understanding how our modern era works. It's almost kind of like watching Idiocracy all over again. You know? That's what I'm afraid of. Yeah, but it's, it's true. It, it, it is true. It is We're true. We're able You're to right. get in he's, on how people think. He's competing. Social media yeah. and just getting attention. The guy, you know, when he did The Apprentice, sat in on enough meetings, which makes me feel a little bit better about him. It's like, wow, you know, because the guy's age group, this is not, you know, reality TV was not something he grew up with, obviously. Yeah. But he learned it. He had the people around him. He understands how our era now communicates, how sound bites work. He is really a master over Hillary, over her group of getting out information and getting people to know what he said. And, you know, 
information as far as, and let's face it, politics is a popularity contest. Starts off in high school when you go out there and vote for whoever the class president is. And I really feel like that kind of sticks through all the way in, you know, people just, very few people are like you sit there and, and really break down what a politician is saying, what positive and negative, and you sit there and weigh everything out. That's not most voters, man. Most voters, they, they, they latch on to something and they're inspired by it. And then they're driven like cattle in that direction. And no matter what you say to them, contrary to the, so they go, well, you know, he did this, you did that. Well, uh, no, I mean, I've seen them interview people and no yeah. matter what you sit there and go, oh, on the same side with Hillary, there's certain people that support Hillary that if you sit there and start bringing up the emails or Benghazi, sure. they're like, ah, you know, it's just the Republicans trying to come after. I'm like, yeah. wait a minute, hold on. No, something bad really did happen here. Legitimate. Absolutely. Legitimately bad. Yeah. Like, let's, can we talk about it? No. Yeah. You have people that are a fan of something. I mean, I, <laughs> the Catholic Church, not to piss anybody off too badly, well, I'm going to. But I remember, you know, for the first couple of years that, you know, it really was making it big. Not that it hadn't been big over years, people making jokes, but when people really were coming out about what the, the diocese did. And then, you know, that's why the, the uh, Pope Benedict had to step down. They found out that he was head of the German diocese and wrote down that policy. He signed it saying that, hey, you guys... If we have any diddlers in our, our groups, we handle I think this. You're paraphrasing, yeah. by the way. Was, yeah. <laughs> we have to handle this in house. We don't yeah. let the police because we have to stay the moral compass. So sitting there and you look and go, "Hey, man, you know, the, the the church has hid thousands of uh, of child molesting cases from public eye and relocated these guys and still keep them on pension." You still had people that are sitting there go, "I don't care." Oh, yeah. you know what? I'm not going to judge the whole thing, but it's like, wow. So people really dig their heels in on in a concept and it's getting that just initial snap. Well, like you said, a juror, I think that that's what politically we go for. Also, if you think about it, when you said what 12 people, the juror they're looking for, they're looking for somebody that they can easily sway with an emotional statement that just boom, gotcha. Because yeah. once they get people to sit there and go, yeah, I feel this way. And you have that that loyalty or whatever that jumps out of your chest and that emotional knee-jerk reaction, people won't be swayed by logic. You can sit there and go, hey, you know, stop marching forward. There's a cliff right behind me. Really? Have you been there? Did you jump the cliff? How far is the cliff down? No, you're just trying to deter me. It's like, And then they're even strengthened and re-emboldened by that, that you're trying to deter them, and they feel even better about standing up against, you know, standing against the grain of society or, you know, the, you know, uh, the, the, the wave and motion of what's going on. No, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to fight for it. So that's why I think that like Trump really has that figured out that speech. I'm, I would bet my house that that was done on purpose. So it's interesting you say that. And this, this is the truly frightening thing for me in a, in a, in a, in a nonpartisan way, because b- believe me, if, you know, there are people who I'm sure are, uh, I mean, I don't know this for a fa- you know, uh, but are probably liberal people like, uh, uh, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is probably liberal. Kanye West is probably liberal. But I swear, if he were the only choice in a general election, if, if, if it was vote for Kanye West or a moderate conservative I'm not voting for Kanye West. I promise you. I promise you right yeah, now. You see what I'm saying? Because I would look at that well and go, thought out and you this take person time. does not know what he's doing. Most people, yeah. if you think about the average person right now in society, 
they're drowning in debt. Yeah. They work their asses off. They have sometimes work two jobs because yes. their one job doesn't want them to hit the 32-hour mark or the 28-hour mark, whatever it is now, Amen. To, to hit the insurance. So now they're working two different jobs, actually working well over you know 50 yep. hours a week. You sit there and they turn on the television or they go on their Facebook, which where most people get their information now is Facebook. Mm-hmm. And Facebook is going to be tidbits of information, quick, 30 seconds or less. That may or may not be accurate. Right. And and then how many times, I mean, most people don't even do what I do. Where someone sits there and says something, I'll look at it and go, huh, that's interesting. I wonder if that's true. (laughs) Then I click over (laughs) to Safari and I start Googling. And then I Google both sides of it, see if like, okay, well, these are the people arguing for that statement. Okay, that seems right. Well, let me see who's arguing against it, see what they have to say. Okay, well, no, well, no, shit. I didn't think of that either. That's a good point. And then I try to make a decision as best I can on that. That's already way more than anybody else is going to do. That most people just look at it and go, huh, did you hear about this? And then they just repeat it without looking at it. Well, so, I mean, we did it uh, myself the other day when we talked about the Blue Life Matters. Oh, right. Did yeah. Obama not light up the thing? And I was yeah, like, hey, I, I heard up, this. Yeah. The only way we were around it is that I picked up my phone, started Googling, went on Snopes, started looking at it and go, okay, well, in this era, they did light up the uh, rainbow mm-hmm. lights because of this, not because of that. And had I just taken information on face value on something that was posted on Facebook, I'd assume that, oh, yeah, they, they lit, it was a half right statement. Yes, Obama or the lit up the White House with the colored rainbow uh, to symbolize gay pride, but it wasn't done because of the shootings down right. in Florida. It was done because of the uh, judicial. Uh, um, what am I trying to say? The Supreme Court. The decision. Supreme Court decision yeah, about Thank gay you. marriage. Yeah, it was it was misleading. So if you look at so so I'll draw a contrast just in that convention hall in Cleveland between Donald Trump and then somebody who also spoke on his behalf that got little to no reaction from the crowd that can actually tell you what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. All right. So if you look at Trump's speech tonight, here's a couple of quotes that I wrote down. All right. In reference to a $19 trillion debt, Donald Trump says, quote, we're going to fix that. Right. That's all the specifics he offers on that. Building a wall to prevent illegal immigration, he says, quote, illegal, illegal immigration, quote, won't happen very much anymore. You see what I'm saying? Reducing taxes, quote, believe me, it will happen and it will happen fast. So, and by the way, he's somebody on tax policy. Trump has been so all over the road. He has at some, at certain times said he wants to raise your taxes, which I'm in favor of, sorry, uh, you specifically. But uh, there's there's other you times. You tax bracket I'm in, bro. I do, and that's why I'm in favor of it. <laughs> but uh, there have been other times where he has said, I'm opposed to that. Okay? So I don't know. I'm for that one. Yeah, well, but that's the problem. Half know, my money goes to taxes. I don't know which side of this equation he stands on. Now, I'll tell you somebody who was in that hall that is the fundamental opposite of that in terms of somebody who can explain what they want to do. Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House. He spoke, doesn't get anywhere near the fanfare, but Paul Ryan is a guy who will be honest with you and will tell you if we are going to make a real dent in the national debt, it doesn't have anything to do with food stamps and welfare and all these little ticky-tack things that when you look at the, the big pie are very thin, minuscule slices of it. Paul Ryan will tell you we're going to have to cut into Medicare. 
That is something no politician will say because old people vote. And do not tell them you're going to touch their Medicare. And you know what the other thing is you have to cut into? The military budget. Because that's the other big portion of it. Medicare and military budget, that is where the, the, the majority of the financial drain comes from. And so you've got and to make... And that just scares people. It I, does. It scares people. I, and that's why they stay away from it. My first reaction right now is, oh, really? Cause, but, I mean, then you have to think to try to come at it with some logic and be like, well, if we cut our military spending, where, mm-hmm. where does that put us compared to everybody else? And we spend more on our military than I think what was the last yes, time. We do. Did, didn't you tell me it was like the next 26 yes. countries? Yes. We spend more than all of them combined? Yes. Like and, I think like and, our largest air force in the world is the U.S. Air Force. And the next largest air force in the world is the Navy. Right. So here's the problem with that. And this shows you what happens when private sector seeps into the public domain. Okay. If when it it is in the private sector's best interest, the defense contractor's best interest for us to be at war and stay at war, they want us, they want us making planes where where we we can use those planes or not. And so that becomes the problem is we end up with a lot of wasteful government space. Not that it's not important to have a strong military, but it's important to have a financially uh, prudent military because our enemies, I think, recognize that the best way to destroy us is within and particularly financially hey let's scare them to the point that they just go bankrupt making a bunch of weapons that they may or may not use all right so in contrast to paul ryan who again is somebody that philosophically fundamentally i disagree with but i will concede can tell you what he wants to do and how he's going to do it i will give him that he's a smart guy he gets no reaction in that hall and you know what I'm not sure how many people even realize who he is. You know, one of the biggest problems with this convention this year is you had a lot of leading politicians who were too embarrassed to be a part of it. They did not want to be associated with Donald Trump. The the the, the rare exceptions to that were guys like Paul Ryan, were uh, guys like Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and they get up there to, to, to tepid reaction because people are more excited about seeing Scott Bayo or a soap opera actress because that's somebody that they can relate to that they've seen. You know, the the Dancing with the Stars guy got up there, and people that's something that uh, that resonates with them. But you know, when Donald Trump says as he says in his speech tonight. During my first 100 days, I'm going to have the head of each department of my cabinet put together a list of wasteful spending that we can cut. And it gets this massive ovation in the hall. He's talking about excessive purchase of office supplies uh, compared to what I just referenced. Mm -hmm. Medicare, for example, defense budget. And I guarantee you that's not something that they're going to be bringing up. And and he would not get a good reaction from the people in that hall if he did. And uh, that is the part that I'm fearful of is is the the perception versus the reality. And your idiocracy example is 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 so I mean, Mike Judge the creator of Idiocracy and Beavis and Butthead may end up being the smartest guy of 2016 if this whole thing plays out. I I do want to make one more mention of of a point here um, that that we haven't talked about before we conclude. And I don't know if you saw all this or not. So if you had to just in a mm -hmm. fantasy world pick your politician that you would want, who's yours? Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders was a guy, and I am not a Richard come lately to the Bernie Sanders bandwagon. Bernie Sanders is a guy that for 10 years at least now, I have always held up as an example of a real liberal, 
But in fairness, and I was wrong about this, I always said, and somebody who would have no chance in holy hell of being elected president. He got close. He got very close. I was actually and impressed he went as far as he did. He did. And for as scared as I am by the the reality TV marketing of a Donald Trump, I have been encouraged by the fact that Bernie Sanders was able to do so well as a mainstream candidate in a presidential election. And uh, uh, Who do you I, like on the Republican side? If you had to pick a Republican. If I had to pick one from yeah. this whole group, I think probably, you pick the same one I like. Probably John Kasich. Ah, no. I like Ron Paul. Oh, the problem with Ron Paul, and this is the problem with any libertarian philosophy, is it's not necessarily a bad idea if you're starting a country from scratch. It's a very difficult proposition if you're 250-some-odd close years in change in because you can't change things in midstream. It's sort of like saying it's kind of like running up, a, a maxing out your credit card, and then calling the credit card company and going, listen, uh, MasterCard, uh, you know, I've made some mistakes. You haven't been perfect either. What do you say we just hit the reset button on the relationship? Call it a clean slate and let's start this whole thing over with a new, uh, more prudent uh, economic approach. And MasterCard's going to say to you, great, pay off your balance and then we'll do that. You see what I'm saying? So, uh, uh, but that I mean, I'm 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 encapsulating. Ron Paul does have some interesting ideas, but no. To to be honest with you, it would probably be somebody. Uh, and you're you're forcing me to choose just one, but it would probably be somebody who is going to be a moderate uh, by by GOP standards, but also somebody who I don't think is just uh, a whack job, you know, like a Ben Carson or one of these types. <laughs> I do want to say this, though, about Ted Cruz, and we can, we can wrap on this unless you got anything else. But Ted Cruz last night uh, really created uh, some controversy by speaking at the convention at the invitation of Donald Trump. He was, of course, the runner-up in the uh, Republican side of the primary, and he did not endorse Donald Trump, and he basically got booed off the stage for it. A lot of people are saying today that he committed political suicide as a result. Um, he took a pledge uh, early on in the in the debates, as did all the other GOP candidates, that they were going to support the eventual nominee. He said, ask the question of the debate. If you don't get the nomination, will you support whoever does? Everybody uh, said, yes, Trump eventually did, even though he was reluctant at first. Um, Cruz said he would do that. Now, uh, since he took that pledge, uh, Donald Trump has said that uh, uh, his uh, father, Ted Cruz's father, could possibly have been involved in the assassination of JFK. Remember we talked about yeah. that because he, uh, he may or may not have turned up in a photograph of Lee Harvey Oswald. And he um, talked about his wife too. Something completely gratuitous about his wife. It was, it was tweeting a picture that had his wife, Heidi. <laughs> I always love hearing Ted Cruz talk about his wife because he's got that dramatic. He goes, my wife, Heidi. Uh, and uh, next to Trump's supermodel wife, Melania, and Trump was basically like, <laughs> no contest, no competition. You know, which would you rather? Come on. Uh, but then also <laughs> things like uh, Donald Trump openly questioning the judge in a, uh, in a legal suit that was filed against Trump because he was of Hispanic descent, saying that he might not have been able to be impartial. Um, so what I'm saying is this. 
as and you think that I disagree politically with Ted with uh, Donald Trump. I disagree way more specifically with Ted Cruz. That is somebody. I mean, we are we are out and out political opposites. But I will. I I, I admire him for for the stand that he took. And and I I, I want to ask your thoughts about this because I don't care what pledge we've made. Let's just say it's a sponsor on the show. Okay. Let's say we got a sponsor. Okay. Now, we're endorsing a product. We made a commitment. Let's say we sign a contract. You know, we, we believe in this contract. We took a pledge. Okay, well, for whatever reason, the guy that owns the company uh, decides to, to tweet a photo of, uh, of, of your wife or my girlfriend and says, I wouldn't touch her with a 10-foot pole because look at my trophy wife or what i mean like i would that guy should i'd punch that guy in the face mm-hmm. let alone i wouldn't be doing a favorable endorsement of him the next week on our show and i just think that that i think that's standing on principle i don't i don't get faulting ted cruz for that i think it was politically smart of him i know people are saying that's politically suicide but i think he uh the Trump campaign knew what his speech was going to be like. Yeah. So they, it was a win-win, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Uh, one, he goes up there and he speaks. He's able to secure the fact that if something happens, Trump doesn't win. He didn't really throw his hat in on that parade. Uh, and he can go ahead and, you know, in, in, in 2020, go back and yeah. go for a presidential bid. And Trump gains something out of it. By now, he can turn around and make people feel bad for him. See, you know, I'm up here. I'm winning the voice of the people. and the, the establishment, you know, the status quo still won't come over to our side. You know, if you really want to change up the way the government works, see, I'm still not, you know, I'm still ruffling the feathers of the, you know, again, the, the establishment. And I think that, that they can very much, if you think now in the last 24 hours, it's kind of how the dialogue has been is, Poor Donald Trump that they did this. Yeah. And so to me, I look at it and go, that was another masterfully orchestrated situation where there was no losers. Ted Cruz fans still have Ted Cruz standing on principle. And he's still part of the Republican Party. If Trump wins, it isn't like the guy's outcasted and isn't going to be able to get nothing done. Well, he might. That's that's an interesting question, though, about Ted Cruz, though. That's up in the air. He might be because he got, I mean, he got a, a very visceral response from the Texas delegation today who expect, you know, called him on the carpet and expected him to answer questions. And a lot of those people were originally his delegates. And so, you know, I, that's the part that I'm worried about. I'm worried that a lot of people just cheer. You know, you hear the old adage about pro sports where you just cheer for the laundry. You know, the guy that I hated last season because he played for the other team, now he's wearing my jersey, you know, my team. So now mm-hmm. I like him. I worry that there's that, that team mentality when it comes to party politics. Oh, and absolutely. I, and I understand for the most part why that does exist. Yeah. But I just I don't understand having <laughs> – how you have a situation like that where and it's not like it's not like Cruz's wife was out politically attacking Donald Trump or you know saying no, these but things that's about a him. move that it was that our generation or not you know that is very much of a thing that if you go again on just websites if you're on the internet yeah. comparing what one wife looks like to another they have websites that break down people's looks you know how ugly you know beautiful movie stars caught you know without makeup going to the gym sure. so that whole comparison 
again drives the interest of our mass. I think I just eighteen to thirty-four year old people think like that. Well, I, and that's a voter base <laughs> that Republicans are weak on. I yeah. think Democrats typically are stronger in the youth. Yes. Whereas Republicans are stronger in the older, uh, you know, demographic. So I think this whole that ploy of my wife's hotter than your wife and a side by side, that's not focused at people in their fifties and sixties. That's focused at people that are twenty five years of age, and Man. getting them to be like ah, and it gets them interested. I I just I I can't fathom the idea that somebody would would in Trump's position would say something like that to somebody in Cruz's position, whether, whether or not outside of that situation, you're going to continue to politically support him or not. Just the idea that anybody could look at Ted Cruz in that situation and go, well, how dare him not endorse this candidate after this, this candidate basically called his wife a hag. I mean, it's like, what? Like I, I couldn't imagine being in that position. First of all, in, in my opinion... Well, he should have just not shown up. Okay, well, he could have not done that. But the thing is, is that I think Ted Cruz views... I think he's there not for Donald Trump so much as he is the Republican Party of which he is a, a member. True. And I, I think... But here's the thing. I, I, I just find it unfathomable that somebody that is in Donald Trump's position for having done that, let's even put the wives aside for a second, just randomly based on an article in the National Enquirer implicating your father in the the last assassination (laughs) of a U.S. president, I would say that Donald Trump's lucky that he didn't get punched in the mouth by Ted How impressive is that? (laughs) Again, that you say something that is so just off the wall, batshit crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. And it grains traction. You and I are talking about it right and now. And do you know why that is, Frank? You're going to hear me utter this phrase a lot as uh, we, we confront things like this. Let me tell you something I truly believe to the, down to the, the, the core of my being so much so that I, I, I purchased the, the, the website domain at one point. People are mostly stupid. <laughs> and it, it, there, there is, there's not, you know, what scares me the most? Let me, let me tell you what scares me the most. When, when we watch something like this CNN and then, uh, you know, they show the convention and all that and they always tease. Now we're going to cut to the random collection of undecided voters that we've assembled in the studio. Yeah. If you want to hear uh, a baker's dozen of simpletons interviewed, Wait until they talk to the undecided voters at the end. Of, and the same thing with the Democrats. Same mm-hmm. thing is going to happen. They're going to talk to the undecided people, and you're going to hear, you're going to listen to them, and you're going to think, what rock have these people been living under? Yeah, but that shows you that's who they uh, cater towards. Yes. That's why when you sit there and you go, hey, I don't like how he didn't explain this, explain that. Why would he? Yeah. We're not trying to convince people like you who are well-read and researched and I think before you do something and try to get information on both sides. We're going for the people that like really are paying very little to no attention besides what they get on Facebook and Twitter or Instagram, and we're trying to convince them on one way or another. That's why I look at the fact that like if you think about the other 16 or 15 other Republican nominees and why Trump was standing there, look at social media. 
When was the last time something Cruz said? How often was that being posted up and being reposted and put on TMZ compared to when Trump says something? There was about a six-month period there. I couldn't open up a website without something about Trump, what the latest thing he said or latest quote on a tweet that he gave out. Some of them are just like, and people are like, oh, man, he just needs to keep his mouth shut. I'm like, why? It's winning. The guy's working it, man. Like, uh, don't be mad at him. He's just manipulating a system that he's learned how that people think, and he's making very good use of it. So that's why I, I guess I just sit back and go, well, shit, let me just learn more about human psychology. Like, so what do you got to do to get to convince people? Like, yeah. Really? Well, now we're going to see a very interesting mid-season story arc because now it's the Democrats' turn. And if you think, as you heard me tell our, our mutual friend, Chael Sonnen, uh, a few weeks back, if Donald Trump is fond of saying, oh, I haven't even started on Hillary Clinton yet, let me tell you something. Hillary Clinton hasn't even started on you yet. And wait until next week. That's going to be a What did whole you think about oh, another thing uh, I thought was just yeah. like, whoa, how are you going to beat that? Yeah was having one of the mothers of one of the guys that perished in the Benghazi incident when she walked up oh, there. Well, I'll tell you how. You're going to have the family of Chris Stevens, who was the ambassador, get up at the Democratic convention and say, don't blame Hillary Clinton. That's going to – that one will cancel out the other. And they've already said that publicly. Yeah, it's, but it's tough. it doesn't have the emotional – you're not going to beat a crying woman. No, but what I'm saying is the widow – of Chris Stevens will say this. But do you think that's what I'm saying is, is she going to say it with the same conviction? I think so. She lost her husband. I mean, I would imagine so. I, and, She's going to have to because yeah. that emotional conviction of just being choked up and not being able to sure. talk, that just – look at when uh, uh, Luttrell, right, mm-hmm. was up there. And you see him trying to read the speech off the prompter, and at one point – He's just like, screw it. I'm just going to – that whole screw it, I'm just going to be myself. Whether that was even – I even sit there and wonder if that was orchestrated uh-huh. and, and planned out anyways because immediately just somebody saying, screw it, I'm going to be real with you, the crowd started cheering. Mm-hmm. That whole like vulnerability of just emotional – if you look at how people – like, look at how many times Barack Obama, uh, when he would talk, be up there and saying something and people like, oh, you know, his emotions lacking – it's weird. It's almost like not what you're saying, but how you're saying it. Yeah. Like, you know, like I wonder about human psychology. Like so much of it is upon, I think people visual are a huge component of what they think of when they look at somebody yeah. and what you're saying. And then again, I think the content of what you're saying is very little to the average person. I think it's how you say it. Mm-hmm. You know, when people get up there and get real emotional behind something and, and speak, people, it's like, what is he talking about? Changing tires. Fuck, I don't know. But man, I'm with him, you know? Yeah. I'm ready to go storm the beaches, you know, where somebody comes up there, there there's a, here, you've already made a great example. When the Speaker of the House is discussing things intelligently and well thought out and explaining, people yeah. are just like, I guarantee you half the audience was probably checking their email or yes. checking their Facebook board. Uh, Trump goes up there and goes, I'm going to make sure that the head of all the different departments are going to come out and uh, a paper of any frivolous spending. And people go fucking insane. It's like, but the way he said it, the way he carried himself, his mannerism, it speaks volumes. Yeah, and the problem is that we are hiring somebody to do a specific task and a specific job, and we should not get caught up in all the sexiness. You know, it's no, like what I'm saying is if, if, if the objective is procreation, 
I'm not trying to figure out who I'm going to have the wildest sex with. I'm I'm just trying to figure out who's going to be who who we're going to be able to have the baby with in the most pragmatic way. You know, it might not be exciting. There might not <laughs> be a great, a great story behind because it because that's how somebody like you would possibly think. Yes, but the average guy is looking for the hottest girl. I guess even though that's all it. the pussy's the same. Babies are the same. We're all looking for whoever has the hottest package. Maybe that's it. You know, and, 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 and hey, listen, that, that you know what? It's it's not a completely far fetched analogy because for the first time ever, we saw a president on a national stage talking about the size of his cock. Yeah, that got, that was in a presidential debate. Yeah, his hands, right? That actually got <laughs> talked about, and it was it was so icky that the other guy, Marco Rubio, in the conversation actually like had to you know sort of publicly shower after the fact. I mean, he was like, "Sorry, I got involved in that." Yeah, but again, in our night. People aren't getting the news anymore. Like us right now with CNN in the background on the television, that is not how people are getting their information. It's through social media. Majority, I've seen the stats on it where you sit there and go, oh my God, more people find out about what's going on in the world through Facebook than almost any other outlet of media that you can think of. And you need to have outlandish, like, you know, what's going to, I mean, we're so desensitized to train wrecks and so much over the top type of information that if you come out with a well thought out low key plan, it's like, that's just, you're never going to be heard from. Yeah. Here's the good news. If you have made it all the way to the end of this podcast, (laughs) you have already put more thought into your political choice than the vast majority of people who are going to be uh, voting in this upcoming presidential election. So every phone booth fighting listener right now needs to give themselves a big uh, self-congratulatory pat on the back, I would say, regardless (laughs) of who you're voting for. I already deem you smarter than the average voter for the fact that you invested this uh, amount of Now, if you fast forward, it doesn't count, by the way. But uh, if you listen to the whole thing, uh, I applaud you, sir or madam, uh, as a uh, astute listener of the show. Okay, quick uh, wrap here. We want to remind you that Phone Booth Fighting t-shirts are available now online for the first time ever at phoneboothfightshop.com. You've seen Frank and I wearing these uh, on our Instagrams and and, uh, Facebooks and such, and you've seen uh, some of the people who've come out and seen us uh, do live performances. They've picked up the shirts there. Now you can get them online phone booth fight shop or excuse me phone booth fighting shop.com phone booth fighting shop.com is where you get them our fund anything campaign is going strong that's fundanything.com forward slash phone booth fighting by the way the shirts that are available right now at phone booth fighting shop.com those are not the same shirts that we're doing through the fund anything campaign a quick update on that the fund anything uh campaign t-shirts and posters are uh, being uh, manufactured as we speak. Our artist has uh, got them designed, and uh, they're about to go to the printer, and all of that, uh, those packages will be sent out to you. If you've already ordered one, they'll be on the way shortly. They look awesome, by the way. Can't uh, divulge too many details just yet, but we'll put up the images as soon as they're available. You're going to love these. And uh, if you haven't ordered one yet, you can do that at fundanything.com forward slash phone booth fighting. Our next live show, we've got our next uh, fight week show booked here in Las Vegas, Frank. It is the week of UFC 202, the much anticipated rematch of Nate Diaz taking on the notorious Conor McGregor. That fight, of course, takes place on August 20th here at the T Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. But you and I will be on stage 
two nights before August the 18th, Thursday night, 10 p.m. at the L.A. Comedy Club inside the Stratosphere Hotel and Casino on the Las Vegas Strip. And don't forget, Frank, unless he's uh, having oh. second thoughts, has pledged We're to make his... We're only about 30 seconds into it, though. <laughs> ...stand-up comedy debut. We've worked out the first bit, haven't we? We have worked out yes. the first bit. Yes, yes. We, uh, well, we have a, a rough outline. We've got a premise. Yes. We've got a premise. Uh, I wouldn't say it's worked out just yet. That's though. right. And I'm not... I mean, you're writing your own act. I'm not doing anything. All I offered was a little punch-up here or there. Yeah, you no, know? your information as far as yeah. uh, your instruction. Yes. Very much... Uh, Yes. That's why I told you the next time you do Naga, I'll have to corner you. Cause yeah, yeah. It's you're, you're, you're my comedian pro uh, quo. Yeah. Uh, corner man trainer <laughs> and uh, my coach. So I'll help you out with you, you. You think it should be like you corner at Naga, like you're on stage doing your stand-up, but I'm in a chair like five feet away just calling out <laughs> commands, cues. You okay, need the good. water bottle and a towel yep. in case it gets bad. Punchline, pause for effect, good, applause break, yeah. <laughs> Breathe. Are you going to be more like Next a uh, Greg Jackson type? or? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I'll have a whole code made up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that. Like the Mark Henry types. Okay, 632, 632. So that is going to be your next opportunity to see us uh, on stage live. Remember, the podcast is available now twice weekly uh, in Stitcher, uh, on the Stitcher radio app. Also, iTunes and phoneboothfighting.com. If uh, you go to our iTunes page, please click on those five stars. Helps us a lot. Stay at the top of the sports podcast rankings and uh, if you have a moment write a favorable review a couple of quick uh, positive lines will really benefit us as well but as i always say first and foremost and above anything else the most important thing you can do for us is tell a friend uh i had a guy email me uh through our facebook page frank at phone booth fighting and he was like i'm doing my job i'm telling a friend and he had like a little frame grab of where he emailed some friend told him to listen so that's awesome we appreciate that you can follow that guy frank mirror on social media twitter and instagram at the frank mirror follow me on social media twitter and instagram at richard hunter uh phone booth fighting is on instagram and facebook at phone booth fighting we are on twitter and snapchat at phone booth fight add us on snapchat that's uh growing strong we're snapchatting the show uh, tonight uh username phone booth fight for frank Mir. i'm richard hunter and we will uh see you at the beginning of the week with a fight companion first fight companion we're uh, doing for the ufc on fox card that uh will be our next episode on phone booth fighting stay tuned everybody was kung fu But they fought with expert timing There were funky Chinamen From funky Chinatown They were chopping the